The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! back for another episode of they must be destroyed on site and i am joined by my co-host daniel harper how are you doing sir doing all right doing all right making it you know cool. enjoying the, the the holiday the holiday weather we got some snow here and then uh it melted so yeah you know. same here actually uh sure. very little snow though just like a dusting we got maybe six inches, you know. Oh really? Oh yeah, that's right. I saw the picture. Yeah, yeah. We got the we got the uh, the lake effect snow, which we get here in Southwest Michigan. You know, where it's it's the uh, the blanket of very wet, um, nasty snow. Yeah. Which, you know, uh, I thought it was going to stick around. It was a thing, and then it, it didn't. So it's a good thing well, it didn't stick around because that's the, like the worst shit to shovel. But uh, uh, when it packs it down into ice, and then you have to like yeah. pick it up, it's. Uh, you know, I, I've been in Michigan for eight years. Um, this will be my my eighth winter, so um, go go me. You know. Yeah, I mean, you're you're practically Canadian in that regard because that's exactly <laughs> the same shit we get. So yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and I'm your host, Lee Russell. We're here. Uh, Paul may or may not join in. We're he's sort of uh, MIA at the moment. So uh, he said he was going to be around, but who knows? He, he might be drunk. He might be passed out. One or the other. Could be both. I was really interested to see which holiday movies he was going to bring. Um, you know, I, they were all going to be slashers, I know, but it was just which ones, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking some of my lists are probably would probably have bled over to his list anyway. Uh, to you know, pardon the pun, but uh, um, well, we'll see anyway. Uh, but yeah, we're just going to do a, a general chat. That's going to be sort of the theme of the uh, episode. Um, not necessarily an official list show like sometimes that we do. Uh, we're just going to be throwing out some uh, holiday-themed movies. Uh, uh, you Americans just had your Thanksgiving, and we're approaching the Christmas seasons, and, we, of course, we had Halloween before that. So, you know, it's it's the big sort of holiday, end-of-the-year holiday kind of season altogether, really. So um, we're just going to be generally throwing out movies that we maybe like or perhaps movies we don't even we don't like, and we're just going to sort of discuss them. And uh, before that, though, uh, we're going to get into some stuff that we've been watching, and then we're also going to bring back uh, a round of Movie God, which we haven't done for a little while. Uh, But before we do Movie God, uh, Daniel, you want to get into some of the movies you've watched in the last little while? Sure. Well, um, actually, last Saturday, I was, uh, you know, when the the big uh, snowstorm came, I was kind of sitting at home. And, uh, you know, I had planned to do some, like, productive work that day. And then the big snowstorm came, and I went, you know what I need? I need a bottle of bourbon, and I'm just going to sit and watch movies all day. This is, nice. is going to be my, my day. Um, so I bought a bottle of cheap bourbon because, you know, I was like, I'm unemployed, but I can afford a $12 bottle of bourbon, um, and uh, which I really couldn't even afford. But it was, all right, sure, fuck it. It's done. Like, this is <laughs> my day. I'm done. 
Um, so uh, bought some bourbon and uh, sat and watched the movies. And uh, so I actually watched between Friday night and Saturday until I, you know, was just ready to go to bed. I actually watched seven movies. Wow, that's like massive for you, pretty much. Yeah, that's, that's pretty. I don't, I don't, I don't do that often. This was just I was, I was home alone. My wife was out of town, and I thought, you know what, fuck it. I, I would. I could put on uh, could put on like a season of a TV show, or I can sit and watch the movies, and uh, so that's what I did. And so I thought I'd go through the list, and some of these I, I know you've seen, and some I don't think you have. But um, okay. we'll probably spend some time on this because why yeah. not? Yeah. Why um, not? So uh, in the in the kind of basic order in which I, I watched these, uh, I started out and I actually watched this uh, this film Restrepo, um, which is a documentary oh, from yeah. uh, 2010. Um, and it actually uh, is a documentary. It's it's a uh, Sebastian Younger, I believe, uh, is a is a uh, kind of photojournalist, a uh, um, uh, who was embedded with this uh, military unit, basically in the uh, the most dangerous place in the world, essentially um, in Afghanistan. Um, this this place where they were doing uh, like during this certain like one month of the occupation. Of Afghanistan, uh, like seventy percent of all the ordnance that was dropped in Afghanistan was dropped in this one valley, uh, which is, um, I mean, the the level of firefighting that these guys were going through. You know, kind of what they were saying is, um, they would, you know, they were they were more like World War II veterans or Vietnam veterans when they came home. Um, and uh, this is this is a film that's. Uh, have you seen the film? I haven't seen it. No. Okay. Uh, are you familiar with it? Have you heard of it? I have heard of it, yeah. Okay, um, there's a sequel called Coringal, which I'm definitely going to uh, watch. I meant to, I meant to put that one on at some point this week, but I didn't get around to to watching that one. Um, but Restrepo, um, it, you know, it, it is a very, uh, very unique. I always hate people who say very unique. Unique is, a, <laughs> is an absolute, not a, uh, you know. But uh, it, it has it has this kind of unique quality in that it, it really isn't. Um, overtly about the politics of the situation, there isn't like a sense of like this kind of larger picture. It really is meant to be like, okay, we're embedded in this world with these uh, with these men, and uh, we kind of follow them along as as they go. There are no like you never sh- cut to like Bush on television talking about the Iraq War or anything yeah. like that. I mean, it's completely um, embedded. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, you you see these guys, and it's just like, hey, they're just a bunch of kids, you know, and you feel for them. Because they're just a bunch of kids. I mean, these are these are people who are you know eighteen, nineteen years old, some of them. Yeah. But at the same time, you're sitting there and you're watching it. It's like, man, you guys are a bunch of fucking idiots, you know, and a bunch of like like without without in any way like denigrating their heroism and their 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 courage at least. Um, you know, there there are these moments where it's like they're they're trying to negotiate um with these uh with the tribesmen because the whole thing that they're trying to do. Is that there are these uh, essentially terror cells that are operating in this in this valley in this village, mm-hmm. and they're being protected by the local villagers, and so they're trying to essentially negotiate. Like at one point, a uh, cow gets caught in uh, the the fencing, some of the, some of the barbed wire fencing, and the cow uh, gets caught, and then it's 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 hurt too badly, and then they have to kill the cow, right? But then they have to. Um, Pay that you know it's like the villagers get mad because like you just killed this this cow it was really valuable to us and it's like against the law for you to kill this cow essentially they're like yeah. you're not allowed to kill, to kill cows for somebody else 
and they want to get payment for it, and it's like, well, the you know they call up the high command, and the high command won't won't give them money. Like, oh no, no, we can't, we can't verify the money, but we can, um, we can give you like rice and beans and and sugar, and we can get like the amount that we can give you is the weight of the cow. So it's like, okay, the cow is eighteen hundred pounds or whatever. We can give you that much, you know, foodstuffs. And the way that they negotiate, and the way that they you know, it's it's like everybody's doing their best, but at the same time, you're like, you guys don't know how to negotiate. You guys don't know how to communicate with these people. There's hardly anybody who actually speaks the language. There's hardly anybody really understanding what this what this culture is. You're just in there. You're you're struggling to do your, the best you can, but of course, you're failing miserably because you, you know there's nobody there's nobody able to do this job effectively. Yeah. Um, you know, at one point, one of the guys uh, just, he's like, well, what the fuck do these guys want? You know what I mean, you know, like, like, um, and uh, you, you feel for them because they have, they lose a lot of people. In fact, uh, Restrepo, the, the, the name of the camp is after one of the guys who um, dies early on in the film. Oh, yeah. um, and they name, they named the, the, that Ford base camp that they built. They cut name it Restrepo um, after this guy that was very well loved. And he was like this Italian guitar player, you know, <laughs> not Italian, Hawaiian, excuse me, Hawaiian guitar player. Kind I was of about to say, was this like Captain Corelli's mandolin all of a sudden or something? Yeah. <laughs> it was a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a pretty decent film. I think, uh, I mean, if it has any issues, it's that it's, it's too focused on its, uh, I mean, the, the, the selling point of the film is that it's, you're just embedded in this world, you know, and it's not making any kind of, it's not overtly making any larger point, you know, um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, the weakness is that it doesn't, it doesn't really connect in some ways because it's so built into this isolated world of, of this one story. Um, I've heard that the, the sequel kind of gets into a little bit more the, the bigger questions and there's some more kind of, kind of big picture political stuff. So I'm definitely going to see that and I'll probably talk about it in a future episode. Um, that sounds pretty unique because usually when you see a documentary and there's, if, if any, like if anything, there's like people complain that, you know, uh, in, in the last five, ten years, there's been, like, a plethora of, like, zombie movies, and that's, like, a plague on the movie industry at this point. Honestly, there's probably been more documentaries than anything else in the last 15 years. Like, there's just been an explosion of documentaries. Well, that's the uh, that's the like, digital video revolution, really. Like, once yeah. you don't have to process 16-millimeter film, or 35-millimeter film, for that matter, once you can literally buy a, you know, a $500 digital camera and have it look as good as anything. Um, suddenly, suddenly a lot of these uh, kind of films actually become much more financially viable. And, uh, you know, certainly uh, something like this really couldn't have existed without digital video because there's just no way you can get traditional film cameras into some of these, some of these spots. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I think that it also speaks to the, you know, just the, the way that, um, you know, this is a essentially this one had a theatrical release, but a lot of this stuff, you know, like Frontline does these amazing documentaries um, about these these really um, big kind of political or socio political top topics, and it's just because well we're we're PBS and we can you know we can we can do that, and yeah. um, then they get you know beyond PBS they get digital distribution and you can go online, you can watch them or you can watch them on Netflix and that sort of thing. So, I think that the digital distribution model really has worked well for small films and documentaries are are great at that. Um, yeah, because when you look at Netflix now, it's like I've, I've never done an official count, but when I look in the documentary section to find something interesting, 
I'm, I'm literally like, sometimes I'm spending like an hour going through everything in there just to try to find something to watch because there's just so many documentaries these days, right? Yep. Um, yep. But uh, I find it interesting that uh, it's actually kind of rare you see a documentary that actually doesn't have necessarily any sort of slanted view, doesn't have some sort of even a very slight narrative going on. It's just giving you the bare bones as is, you know? So that, that sounds pretty interesting to me. I think I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, no, it's definitely it's definitely worth a watch. And I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's non-political because ultimately every decision that you make, I mean, the idea that there is non-political art is is a misnomer in my mind. I mean, you know, every mm-hmm. every piece of art either reflects the biases of its you know makers or it is a response to you know some. Even if it's not overtly political, there are always you know this, decisions being made about what to include and what not to include. Yeah, 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 and you know that sort of thing. Um, but. It definitely is not, you know, like George W. Bush is not a character in this film. Barack Obama is not a character in this film. And I mm. think that um, for a lot of people, that will be refreshing. Um, so um, definitely, definitely worth a check out. Um, and I, I will, uh, I will watch Coringal at some point and uh, kind of let you know how, how I felt about that um, once I watch that. Nice. Um, the uh, next movie I watched, and I'm fairly certain you've seen this one, at least I hope you have uh, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. I have, but it was a long time ago. So this is this is this is a contender for my best of the year list. Honestly, mm. um, this was a this was a ton of fun as a movie. Um, it's got uh, Susan George and Peter Fonda mm-hmm. uh, and another guy whose name I didn't write down because I didn't take any notes uh, before this show, which I meant to write down a bunch of notes, but I I didn't. I took a nap instead. You'll have to forgive me. Sorry. Um, but uh, Susan George, you might know more for um, uh, Straw Dogs. Uh, yep, she's, yep. The, she's the main female lead in Straw Dogs, and she was in some other stuff. Uh, and then Peter Fonda, obviously, played the titular Dirty Mary and Crazy Larry. Um, and this is essentially a it's a car chase film. Um, yeah. I I knew it because it had been name checked in uh, Death Proof. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. um, uh, is one of those films, and I'd never seen it. And I saw it was on Netflix, and went, "Well, fuck yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit and watch that." And you know, a lot of these things, I'm like, "Oh, it's an hour, an hour. It's not even a out of my life." You know, I'm not gonna you know take it take it too seriously. I'm just gonna sit. I'm gonna drink some whiskey or some beer or whatever, and chill out in front of this film. But this was a, a very effective um, car chase film, and I think that it really one of the reasons it works is it really has this strong sense of character and the strong sense of kind of place and time you spend as much time, you know, if it's just a bunch of car chases going on, it's, I mean, it's kind of visually fun, I guess, but it's not, you know, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's like, if you get a sense of like who these characters are and kind of what's going on, um, you know, there's the, the third person, the third guy in the movie is uh, the mechanic and he's, an alcoholic and he's, you know, there, there's a lot of like interpersonal dynamics between uh, the three of them. And you get a sense of like this kind of budding romance maybe, but not really. And it doesn't really ever kind of play that, that hand too, um, too tightly. And then you get this, uh, this really cool um, cop who like plays by his own rules, which is definitely a cliche, but it's also like really effective in the way it's, it's uh, portrayed here. Um, Oh yeah, that's got Vic Morrow in it for fuck's yeah. sakes. Vic Morrow, Vic Morrow, yeah. Um, and Roddy McDowell. <laughs> I forgot that. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean I literally just sat down to watch it and I was just like, man, this is this is a really fun uh, little film and uh, definitely you know, one that we could definitely cover on the show at some point. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, in more detail. Um and uh, it has a it has a really uh 
it actually builds to a to an effective climax. That's that's one thing about like a lot of these things. They just kind of like okay, we had this big action sequence at the end, and then that's there's no like weight behind it. There's no idea, or there's no. It just kind of ends with like, and then we we have a bunch of car chases for no reason. Um, this definitely builds to a a a really interesting climax and uh, and finale that um, we would definitely talk about to some to some detail if we were going to uh, discuss the film in uh, more detail. Yeah, oh, this is fun. The, the director of this one actually directed something I'm going to uh, talk about on my watch list, so cool. Awesome, awesome. Uh, do you want to do that now and, and take a break from my uh, list of uh, seven films, or you want me to just kind of keep going? No, through just my, keep going. Uh, okay. Um, the next one I watched was uh, Hanny Calder, which is... Okay. Uh, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. This is the uh, Raquel Welch. Uh, so this is the uh, Raquel Welch Western where she is, uh, her husband is murdered and she is raped by three vagabonds uh, in, a, in a fairly long, I mean, nothing, nothing too incredibly long, but a fairly, you know, intense rape sequence. Um, mm-hmm. Ernest Borgnine is one of the three men who, uh, who rapes her and is, uh, you know, and then she vows revenge and, uh, uh, Basically uh, chases them down, gets help from a uh, a uh, gunslinger who is uh, I I just appreciate it because he's a uh, hero with glasses and a beard, which I'm always a, a <laughs> and, uh, you know when the oh there's there's a guy there's kind of a, a, a middle aged man with glasses and a beard who uh, is kind of the badass of this movie. I'm 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 down with this. Um, nice. Uh, Tarantino actually uh, said that uh, this character was one of the inspirations for Kill Bill, uh, for, for the Bride, and uh, I think you would. I mean, if you if you see it, it's there's definitely an element of that. I mean, I think Kill Bill, it sends beyond and does better than this. Um, this does have a little bit of that sense of like Raquel Welch was just raped horribly, and she just lost her home, and she literally. I mean, they like the three guys literally like burn her house down, um, and she's like, I mean, it's literally she she escapes. Wearing a towel, I mean, wearing wearing just like a blanket, and Fine. she ends up wearing the blanket for the entire film. Um, she just like ends up like they, she gets pants at a certain point, and then she gets boots, and she buys a hat and that sort of thing. Um, and so they're they're kind of playing at the lascivious, like this is what Raquel Welch in a in a towel, effectively, for the first uh, third of the film. I mean, you know. Uh, and I mean, you know, it is kind of one of those like, yeah, this was made in 1971 or whatever. Like there, yeah, there, is, there is a very clear sense of I, like. I don't think there was a Raquel Welch film in that period that did not exploit how voluptuous she was. <laughs> oh no, no, not at all. And you know, on that level, it's it's certainly. I mean, it, you know, it's it's the sort of thing that like I definitely would give it a pass because it's 1971 and because mm-hmm. it's Raquel Welch and because she is like stunningly gorgeous and I have no issues with with the film like treating her that way. Um, but it is kind of like, you know, look, uh, she was just raped horribly and like just lost everything in her life and is only wearing a towel and we're going to get some shots of, uh, you know, just how long her legs are underneath that towel and her hair is completely non must and, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, she's, yeah. it definitely exists in that genre. Um, it is kind of one of those things where if it was made today, you would definitely treat some of these issues a little bit differently. But um, it's also cited. I mean, for the early seventies, this is this is a like a, a feminist picture. I mean, this is a, this is a, a very big like girl power. She can be a hero. She can come back from her own uh, from from this abuse um, sort of thing. And uh, 
definitely worth a watch. I think if you're, it's again, it's on Netflix. So if you have a Netflix subscription, you can watch it. It's not even as long. It's uh, it's it's fun to, uh, it, it's it's a fun it's a fun watch. Um, if you can kind of get past the, the initial kind of subject matter and kind of wave away some of the uh, implausibilities of it. Yeah. Um, and I uh, forget the name of the guy, the uh, the main hero, but he's very good at it. Uh, actually, I'm going to look it up here if you'll uh, forgive me. Yeah, go ahead. <coughs> um, Robert Culp uh, is the... Robert Culp, uh, okay. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know him at all, but he's really good in this film. And uh, I kind of looked him up, and he had a, he had a long career on, on TV. Um, so he's kind of got one of those one of those faces where I'm like I know this guy from somewhere, but I don't know him from any particular place. I just know him as oh he's one of those TV actors. He did he did a bunch of TV westerns and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so um, he's quite good in it, and I really wish he had had a, more of a film career because I was I, I really kind of came away from this film kind of going like man this guy's really good. I wish I could see him in some more stuff. Um, and I know he did some movies, but um, nothing that like jumped out at me is like, well, that's a definite must watch. So um, um, definitely check that out. It's 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 worth a watch. Um, I was kind of in a western headspace for a while. Um, I meant to watch a couple of others, but um, I didn't get through. That was basically the bourbon took over at a certain point, and I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't watching any more movies. Um, the next movie I watched, uh, which was uh, a movie called Atari Game Over. Um, this one oh, yeah, on Netflix. Have I you seen saw, this? I saw that. I, I haven't seen it, but I saw, I did see it on Netflix. Yeah. Um, this is a uh, film that's about. Uh, so there was the ET video game, which is mm-hmm. widely called the worst video game ever made. Um, I've I've played worse, but it is a pretty bad game. Right, and and uh, you know it's also kind of credited as like the game that sunk Atari. You know that sort of like the the big. You know this is the game that sunk Atari back in the early 80s and basically called caused the video game crash, the video game maker crash in the early 80s. Um, and uh, the whole kind of narrative of the film is that uh, there's this there's this urban legend where the uh, all the copies of, of E.T., mm-hmm. you know, there were so many returned copies and it was such a financial liability that they just took all this thing out to uh, Amagardo, uh, Amagardo uh, New Mexico, and just buried them. And just went fight, and then like essentially the video game industry was buried alongside these four million copies of YouTube yeah. or whatever, um, which you know I will I will not uh, I always just heard the story as something that was true I never kind of heard it as like oh this is well they actually was, recently they last couple of years they did a dig and they found that, that was the that was the that was the the structure of the documentary was to go yeah. and, and dig it up and um, there's definitely I mean a this is a film that is not about kind of analyzing the kind of rise and fall of Atari. I mean, it is kind of a, the story of kind of how Atari rose and fell. This is a movie about kind of giving a big sloppy blowjob to Atari um, <laughs> and to Silicon Valley culture. Um, this is a film that really, um, there's a guy named Ernest Klein who wrote a book called Ready, Ready Player One and who wrote uh, a book called, um, most recently, there's another one that he wrote, but. Uh, this is this is the guy who is uh, kind of a, uh, you know, I'm 35. He's probably five to ten years older than I am. He's he's one of these guys that grew up with 
the Atari uh, video games. He played the the ET game when it was new, mm-hmm. and um, you know all the obsessive uh, Atari gamer kind of guy, and uh, has basically parlayed that love of early '80s culture into a writing career. His uh, most recent, uh, his book, Ready Player One, has actually been optioned by Steven Spielberg to make into a film. Really? Um, yeah, and this is this is the kind of guy who, like, George R. R. Martin shows up in this film as, like, a guy <laughs> who's, like, buddies with this guy Ernest Klein, right? You know, <laughs> like, like um, Ernest Klein goes and picks up a DeLorean. Like, he bought a DeLorean, like a reproduction DeLorean, Jesus and he's God. driving that through the film. And he's got uh, like this ET doll that's like riding in the car next to him, sort of thing. And I mean, it's it's very much like um, the filmmakers uh, embrace this sort of like overgrown adolescent kind of um, mentality of like recapturing this thing from your youth. And um, you know that you get a very clear sense of like what working at Atari in nineteen eighty, you know, from nineteen eighty to nineteen eighty three would have been like. Um, it's uh, Harold Warshaw is the guy who created um, a bunch of the best-selling Atari video games mm-hmm. um, and is the guy who created the E.T. video game. And, I mean, you kind of get the story. He had five weeks to make this game. Yeah. He was really overambitious about what... I mean, the the game, like, it worked. Like, it was like it was, it was kind of this, like, fascinating thing of, like, once you kind of hear his idea for it and you say, well, you had five weeks to do it, and it, and it came together at all as kind of a miracle... Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, uh, the, this guy, um, you know, we, we hear about like his first day at Atari and, you know, he's like, I mean, in like the drug culture that was going on and this, the party atmosphere and the way that like these, these, um, engineers were treated like rock stars and they could just do no wrong. And you hear from some of the executives that were working at Atari at the time and that sort of thing. And I think that, you know, it's, there's such a, you know, the idea in 2015 to be completely, or even 2014 when the film was made, to to be, you know, non-reflexively uh, worshipful of Silicon Valley, is kind of one of these these big uh, issues that I would have with the film. It's kind of this big, uh, you know, the unquestioned idea that like, yes, the Silicon Valley culture is something that we should be unabashedly in favor of. Yeah. Um, now, I'm I'm you know I'm I'm on a computer right now when I'm recording this podcast, Lee, and I, I certainly would not um, complain about anybody's um, love of uh, things from the 80s as, as I do a Doctor Who podcast in my other spare time mm-hmm. or, or embracing the things that you loved as a child. I don't have an, an issue with any of that, but I do have an issue with uh, fetishizing that into a um, something that has uh, taking these things and, and turning it into something that is just a reflexive, um, non-examined good. And, you know, the, the, the fact that, like, you know, treating, like, the birth of Silicon Valley as something in that culture, which all of the kind of toxic stuff that that's created for the cities in which Silicon Valley, you know, if you're a poor person in, in, a, in San Francisco, you're basically being forced out of your, your city because you can't afford to live there anymore. And um, the uh, toxic culture, I mean, you hear about, like, some of these parties that they were having at uh, Atari – in the early eighties were basically Wolf of Wall Street level, you know, <laughs> binges. I mean, you know, they, yeah. they literally were like, you know, and I, and I really wish that we had heard from like, you know, they'd talk about, Oh, we had all these women that were always just hanging around and that were just like available to us. And I really wish like, if you're going to make a film about that, let's, let's, let's go interview someone. Like, yeah, let's, let's go dig them yeah. up and let's go, 
hear some of like what was your perspective Let, let's go let's go here not from like oh you're this like heroic game programmer guy that made some of the best games that are ever made like let's let's also let's put this into a larger context and i think that it's that like fetishizing of the 80s that i think ernest klein the guy driving around the DeLorean, gets a lot of much needed flack for i think um but um also feeds into the next film that i watched which was kung fury yeah. Um, so uh, you know, yeah. I know you saw that one, and yeah. uh, you know it very much is exactly what it it claims to be. There, mm-hmm. There's no um, there, there's no um, issue in terms of like trying to uh, pretend that this is not just a complete. Um, this is what the '80s would have been like if there was CGI. Um, yeah. th- this is this is the fevered uh, wet dream fantasy of 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 the '80s uh, writ large. And I mean, it is that it is very much it comes from that same kind of mentality that the Atari movie does, and that it is uh, this fetishizing of these aesthetics or of this this time period, um, without any kind of. I mean, there's no story to Kung Fury. There's no there's no there's no narrative at all. Um, it's it's a it's kind of a, a goofy thing. It's thirty minutes long, and boy, did I feel every one of those thirty minutes. You know, it's it is. You're either kind of on board with this aesthetically, or you're you're not. I, I would really, I feel like it's sort of like this is this Kung Fury really is, and especially since the filmmaker intended to make a ninety minute film and then couldn't make it because he mm-hmm. didn't have the, the, so the Kickstarter glad. money. I'm so glad he couldn't make a ninety minute film. I mean, it really is like like people complain about something like Scott Pilgrim. And say, oh, it's just this line of like of of eighties video game references and that sort of thing, like in that. But there's a story in Scott Pilgrim. There's a narrative. Like there's a reason that you come back to that, and it's not just the. And I feel like that that some people just kind of lose that that thread and just kind of go, well, if it's got kind of these cool images and, and cool gags, and some of the gags are really good. I'm not I'm not going to complain that that about the gags but you've got to have like a narrative <laughs> like you've got to have yeah. something to justify me sitting and watching this um you know it, it is exactly what it is um i didn't i didn't hate kung fury but man 30 minutes was all i wanted of that, that yeah was... that's all i wanted of it too i mean it, I, I i felt after watching it, if this went any longer it just would have been a fucking chore to sit through like it just would have been so tedious um I, I cite one of my favorite movies of the year. It's going to be on my top list, uh, Turbo Kid. You, you mm. want to see the sort of retro 80s sort of fetish thing done to perfection and actually sort of sprinkled in a movie with an actual narrative and an actual point? Then Turbo Kid is the way to go. That's the way. Oh, I'm, I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to get that watched before the end of the year so mm-hmm. I can uh, chat about that with you. Yeah. And Paul's here. How you doing, sir? Hello. Oh, you just wake up or what? Was, what the fuck's going on? I woke up a little late to get to get where I am now. Yes, so I, I figured you might have because I saw earlier in the day that you uh, had four hours of sleep after drinking excessively, and I figured you probably went to start drink excessively even more during that yeah. day. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what time I went to bed, but it was something like three or four p.m. today. Right. Nice. By a little nap, and now I'm now I'm ready to rock and roll. All right, awesome. so we're we're just going through uh, stuff we watched, and uh, Daniel's still got to finish I, up his list here. So I've got uh, I've got I've got two more, and uh, you know I'll try to make them quick because uh, I know this is going on very long, but it is supposed to just be a hangout kind of show. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um. Uh, the uh, next film I watched was uh, Killing Them Softly. Uh, this is the um, 
Andrew Dominic, who directed uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford a mm-hmm. few years ago, um, which was one of my favorite films of that year. Um, yeah, I, I and like um, a few years ago, or a couple of years ago, made this uh, film, Killing Them Softly, and this is another uh, one that's on Netflix. Have you seen this, Lee? I have seen it, and I'm not a big fan, honestly. No, I'm not either. Um, <laughs> this is uh, uh, I thought I thought this would be an interesting one to to chat about just for just for a minute. Um, because I think it is like one of these like um, there's a really effective crime story kind of buried in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I really kind of want to read the book it was based on because it was based on a book from the 70s that that looked interesting. Um, but man, Andrew Dominic, you know, like the assassination of Jesse James is a film where it's it's like the uh, you know it's almost a tone poem. It's it's this like three hour long film that's kind of about this rumination of time and this particular time and place and this particular culture and these particular characters and you really get this very strong sense of like how these activities are affecting everyone and you know that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And this is like reaching for that, but it's doing it in the most um, pretentiously loves the smell of its own farts way possible. <laughs> um, and it's connecting these events to the bank bailouts at the uh, at the time that the film was being made was yeah. like, during the 2008 presidential election in the U.S. And so you just have like these long sequences where characters are driving up to like to do a bank uh, to do a to do a robbery, and you have like audio from you know Bush bailing out the banks, you know sort of things. Uh, and it's so misplaced in context. Because I understand that like Andrew Dominic thought he was making some larger point out of this little crime story, but at the same time, it's so just ham-fistedly just shoved in there that uh, it, it detracts from the film. There, there's supposedly a two-and-a-half-hour cut of this originally. Oh, Jesus Christ. I don't want to see that. I mean, I don't even... I can't even imagine... I mean, an hour and 37 minutes is, is, the, is, the, is the running time of the, of the finished version. And I don't hate the film. I think there's some real stuff to, to admire about it. Um, James Gandolfini, just for mm-hmm. one thing, although his story kind of goes nowhere and then it just kind of trails off and then, you know, it just, you know, the, the, he shot his load and then it just dribbled out onto the yeah. floor and then that was the end of the <laughs> James Gandolfini character from, um, I don't know, it is, it is, I do wonder if the longer cut kind of connect some of this stuff up a little bit better and you get a, right. even a better sense of kind of where things are going. But I can't imagine that, like, I mean, I just, I can't imagine that a longer cut is actually going to improve this. I, I can't see it because uh, it was such a fucking chore to watch it, it yeah. as is. I, I was, I honestly, I, I, rented, I rented it on DVD. I watched it. It put me to fuck to sleep. I, I fucking fell asleep watching the fucking film, and I had to sit and start it over, and even then I was about ready to nod off. Um, I, I watched this, and I'm like, okay, I've seen all of these underworld characters making sort of witty remarks and stuff in every Tarantino film in the last 15 years. I I like the actors, I like the idea of the story, but I'm sitting here and I'm watching Ray Liotta play the same fucking scumbag mafia character he's been playing for the last 20, maybe even 30 years at this point, and the story really didn't go anywhere. It just lingered on and on. I get it. Brad Pitt's killing people. Okay, can we get on with it? No, I, we can't you know, get on I, with it. I feel like this is this is really the sort of thing where Dominic's directorial style just really gets in the way of this. Of, mm. you know, because 
if you're going to do this, you've got to do it like almost handheld, rough, gritty, over-the-shoulder kind of like, you, you know, if you're going to do these kind of gangster cliches, at least kind of do them in a, in a kind of verite style or do it in some kind of... But if you're trying to do this kind of big, more intellectual version of this where you're really trying to like connect it into these bigger themes of you know, betrayal or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you've really got to like, in some sense there's got to be more meat on these bones. I mean, there's just not enough to this crime story to justify the, the thematic work. And then the camera work is all about trying to justify this thematic stuff instead of, like, making us... putting us in the moment, and, and you know, it's just distracting. I mean, there's this uh, very artfully done set piece towards the middle where a certain uh, person gets killed um, in a car where, where Brad Pitt shoots this guy into uh, through, through a window and uh, some, some car crashing stuff happens. And it's very effectively shot, but it's also like, why is this in this film? Like, there's no reason for this except for, you know, the director just wanted to jerk off on the screen for a while. So I'm I'm definitely interested in, in whatever else Andrew Dominic wants to make, but man, this was uh, this was not a good film. It was just the wrong subject matter for him. I think I think yeah. it was just a misfire on every level. But uh, one yeah. more, I I promise, I'm almost done. Yeah, go ahead. City of the Dead. I, uh, ah, also nice. Known, also known as a, a Horror Hotel, I think, uh, from 1960, the very yeah. first of the, the kind of the proto-amicus film. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason I'm watching these amicus films is so that I can listen to the City of the Dead podcast, um, nice. which is uh, maybe a little uh, bass-ackwards in terms of like where most people would, would want to watch the film and then like, oh, listen to them. But I just, I love the, uh, I love James and Holly so much that I'm like, I need to watch these films just so I can listen to their podcast. So and I watched yeah. City of the Dead, and I would highly recommend their podcast about City of the Dead because they got it's way excellent. more. It's, it's, a, it's an excellent episode at, at that. Um, and, and uh Go uh, check out that podcast and the uh, and the film. Um, the film's in the public domain, so it was on YouTube. So I just I just sat down and I watched it. It's uh, about eighty five minutes long, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Maybe maybe ninety. Um, it uh, you know, I feel like it borrows very heavily from Psycho, but it's made the same year as Psycho. So I mm-hmm. don't know that that. I, I mean, it feels like that maybe they were both kind of coming at stuff from the same direction. I don't know that the the filmmakers would have had the chance to see Psycho before they wrote this film, um, but it's it's, it's, it's... it's hard to say because uh, even uh, as much as people want to, you know, applaud Alfred Hitchcock and say what a genius he is for Psycho, a lot of the stuff he did in Psycho was actually a reaction to William Castle's films yeah. uh, of the period. So, I mean, and no one actually wanted to give money to Alfred Hitchcock to make Psycho. They were all like, we don't want to see this shit. And right. So he actually basically paid for it himself. He used sets from his TV show to fucking film for that film. Yeah. Uh, so th- th- this was like Alfred Hitchcock, like who was like the auteur of the time. Basically, people were considering he's kind of slumming it almost. So, right. you know, who who knows where he drew all of his influences from at that point and. And it, it might just be one of those things, of course, where Hollywood, where everyone all of a sudden is making sort of the same script at the same time, right? So, Yeah, I mean, it, it very clearly is kind of, you know, I kind of view it as uh, City of the Dead and Psycho are both kind of coming at the same general sort of idea from just very different directions. I mean, it's not the same film. It's just kind of, it kind of has that same spoiler alert. It has a twist in the middle where the person who thinks the hero ends up being kind of the first victim. 
Um, and uh, then it's the the second half of the film is about the consequences from that. I think where Psycho is elevated, it's because it has that. I mean, just the brilliant Anthony Perkins performance, and um, you know the 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 Hitchcock's direction just elevates. You know, it's not the material; it's the way the material is is handled. Mm-hmm. Um, City of the Dead is not nearly as good a film as Psycho, but I think it's it's equally interesting in a lot of in a lot of uh, cool ways. Um, and uh, again, I would just point you towards the the podcast called City of the Dead, and uh, hopefully Lee will provide a link in the in the show notes. To that. I, I I I can't remember if I've uh, linked it on the sidebar or not in uh, the Podbean site. If I haven't, I will. So. Yeah. But definitely go check out the the episode one of that podcast. If you like, watch <laughs> this film, City of the Dead, and then go listen to that their episode because it's just what they had to say. I couldn't. I wouldn't have anything to add to it. It's just like yeah, they just a great. Um, I, I'm I'm enjoying their podcast quite a bit. I mean, they just did an episode on the Skull, which is one of my favorite Amicus films, and. Mm. It's just a fantastic look at it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit and watch all the Amicus films in order just so I can listen. Just so I get to watch. Um, it's uh, it's Trad Dad, I think, is the uh, the second one, <laughs> and then uh, just for fun, it's the third one, and then uh, the Dalek film that'll be the fourth one. Yeah, and then they uh, start getting into the horror shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna follow along with them um, because I think most of these are in the public domain, so you can just watch them. You know, so they, they are City of Living Dead. You can find it on all kinds of public domain releases. Yeah. Uh, uh, Paul, you've seen that one, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time ago, but I have I have a couple copies of it. Yeah, it's got Christopher Lee in it. Yeah. Christopher yeah. Lee's in it, and then you know, like three scenes. But uh, yeah, yeah, he's in it. Um, he's and, in it. Uh, yeah, uh, it's got a pretty blonde girl. She's in it. Um, mm-hmm. She she wears lingerie during during a pivotal scene towards the middle of the film, and uh, yeah. They're pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty entertaining. I mean, it's 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 actually a really good film. Um, I I will say that you know I kind of got to the end and I started you know any kind of, you know horror isn't my genre, so I kind of get to the end and I'm, I'm kind of all right. I'm ready to move on you know from this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, but it is it really does have this really great climax. You know, it is it it does it does work really well, and uh, there are some themes that you can tease out of it, and that's kind of why I keep recommending the podcast because I think it's. Uh, they do a really good job of like analyzing that to much more detail than I would um, personally. So uh, yeah, yeah, they're great. Yeah, and those are the seven films I watched in uh, about eighteen hours. So awesome. you know, uh, Paul, is there anything you've been watching lately that you want to mention? Well, my DVD player broke, so I'm back to VHS. It threw me back into the nineties. So we're just hey. in VHS. Uh, I watched uh, Cold Check, The Night Stalker. Nice. I watched. I have the episode of Vampire and Werewolf, so I mm-hmm. watched those. Then uh, it was um, I pulled out my uh, um, Cemetery Man because cool. it's been a while since I actually sat down and watched it. Fright Night Two, Maniac Cop Two, yeah. What else? We uh, should review the think. first Maniac Cop on this podcast at some point. Yeah, we yeah, should. Let's do that. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you fucking birds. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to remember what else we watched. I watched uh, *Per Dracula, Prince of Darkness*, another Christopher Lee goodie. Nice. And I watched a documentary from uh, Hammer called *Vamps*, all about the female vampire. Oh, so all the lesbian stuff they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hosted, of course, by Oliver Reed. Yeah, well, if you want the the most uh, alcoholic, masculine British character actor you can find from that period, then Oliver Reed's the. Dude Oliver Reed's your man. There yeah. you go. 
I didn't watch too much stuff. Uh, stuff like and whatever I did watch, I was watching it and drinking, so I forgot most of it. But uh, I know last night when I sat down in front of the TV, they were watching uh, Cops Like Us, I think it's called. Uh, bro, romance comedy about two guys pretending to be police officers, and then oh, isn't it? Is it called Let's Be Cops? Isn't that Let, is it? Let's Be Cops. Yeah, Let's Be Cops. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was a. It was a you know feel good movie, which I have no idea what a good feeling is anymore at this point in time in my life. So <laughs> I I just wanted that to get over with pretty fast. Then I watched uh, Austin Powers, something I can relate to at least a little bit more. That's nice. fair. An awkward man from another era in this new age age environment. I I could get that. I can get behind that. But it was pretty good. I, I it was really fun going back and watching Austin Powers because I was like, yes, I like it. I just remember liking it just as much as I liked it the first time I watched it. I right, did you watch the first one or one of the sequels? Yeah, it was it was the first one. The first one is the is the best. Like like clearly, mm-hmm. yeah. I I I just I just have a. Uh, a visceral response to any film that has a uh, socially awkward hairy man getting lots of tail. It seems to be yeah, just exactly, a, uh, yeah. Um, Works out well. I have this immediate response to that. Um, See, the, the, the second one, it immediately makes me hate it because it totally throws the first one out the window where uh, Vanessa turns out to be a fembot, and I was like, I felt cheated. I felt, fuck this movie, fuck this movie. And then all of a sudden, Heather Graham in tight clothing, and I was like, okay, I can okay. get with it. I mean, Elizabeth Hurley, Heather Graham, <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to... Yeah, I, I mean, you know, Heather Graham, one of the few blondes I really like, so, okay, I can I can, I can work with it. Yeah, I mean, really, yeah, Roller Girl was the better role for her, though, you know, I'm just going to... Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kicked right in the face. Kick him right <laughs> in the face. Uh, the, uh, but the last thing I got, actually just got done watching was uh, Lee wasting a beer because he didn't age it for five years first. Yeah, well, go fuck yourself, because I, I don't give a fuck about my yeah. YouTube audience anymore. They can go fuck themselves. Let's put it right out there right now. What, what, what did you what did you drink? Please? I drank Fuller's Vintage Ale 2015, and it says oh. you can age it for 10 years, and I drank it, and it tastes like fucking Fuller's London Pride, and there's no way in 10 years it's going to taste any better than it does fresh. You are so wrong. I am so that. right. There, this, this beer is not you barley so wine wrong. like the pre- previous vintages. They made, I hate a point of writing, I hate they made a point of writing on the fucking box that instead of going out of our way so, to look for awesome ingredients to make this beer super awesome, <laughs> instead we made it an alcoholic version of Fuller's fucking London Pride because it's like all we did was use Maris Otter and a couple British hops. Oh, wow, how fucking that, exciting. Isn't that kind of funny? Isn't that the one thing you would never want to write on the side of a box? Pretty much. Instead of trying, like, giving a fuck, we just went, yeah, fuck it. Just booze it up, baby. They, they, like they, made the, they made the pretenses of, like, 50 years of the British brewing industry or something for some specific, I guess, probably yeah, marathon. When, when, when you read between the lines. Actually, that line reminded me I watched all, I also watched Time Cop. <laughs> Sean Club Van Damme don't split. Yeah. yeah, okay. Read, read I think it. that is the is the Mia Sara movie that wasn't Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's kind of how I think of that movie. Yeah, and I even got to see her tits, and I was like, "Yeah, tits." But Ferris was there first, man. He was there that's right. first. That, that, so, yeah. that social path got into her panties first. Yeah. Yeah, no, damn that's, right. That's true. Uh, <laughs> Paul, Paul, have you seen Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry by chance? No. Oh man, we need to we need to do that film. 
We need to do it. It's on Netflix, and we I'm yeah. sure we can find it on YouTube. It's probably public domain, really, probably. Probably, yeah. Sounds fun. But it's a yeah. Peter Fonda chase movie from, like, what, the 60s or late, early? Oh, 70s, 71. Yeah. Okay. And just about everything Peter Fonda did back in that period was pretty good, so. Yeah. Well, I'll have to check it out. Yeah. All right, so I'll just jump in quickly to some of the stuff I've been watching. Uh, Daniel mentioned early, earlier he either had a choice of watching a bunch of movies or actually watching a TV series. Uh, I watched the uh, Jessica Jones uh, series on Netflix. Uh, I watched the first episode of that before I came on this show, and damn. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Go ahead, Lee. Uh, Sorry, I'm, I'm talking too much, but I'm just throwing that out there. Damn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, first off, uh, the main uh, the main uh, character who plays uh, the main the woman who plays Jessica Jones. She looks like Eliza Dushku. Uh, she looks better than Eliza Dushku. She can act. Yeah, uh, she her can. Is, yeah. Her name is Kristen Ritter, and I've been yeah. in love with her since the very first shot she's in of Breaking Bad. Um, yeah, and so she was also in Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment Twenty Three, which is a fun little uh, comedy, like sitcom from the mid two thousandsies. But uh, this series is awesome. Uh, I got to say, like, uh, I, I'm sort of getting sick of the Marvel films, but the fucking TV series are awesome because they can actually do an R-rated series. You know, this this is uh, the only thing they don't show is full frontal nudity. Essentially, that's pretty much the only thing they don't do in these series. But other than that, everything fucking goes. They're throwing the f-bombs. They're uh, doing sort of uh, hard R violence in, in most of these film in most of these series. Uh, Daredevil and Jessica Jones, and fuck yeah, this was a great series. Uh, great seeing David Tennant basically playing the anti-rapist Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, he. I, I've only seen the first episode, but I, from what I've read, it's 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 definitely like I'm I'm looking forward to this. Uh, yeah, I, I won't I won't spoil anything for you, but uh, fucking, it's a great story. It works really well. Uh, I guess the source material, the Jessica Jones comic, apparently is fairly adult for a Marvel comic in the first place. It, it definitely does deal with like issues of like uh, rape and uh, stuff like that. But uh, yeah, David Tennant is just you, you watch him in this, and it's like wow, that guy was Doctor Who because he is incredibly fucking creepy and nasty in this fucking uh, series, um, and it's great. It, it just works really well. It just suddenly hints towards Daredevil and some of the other stuff in the films. It doesn't uh, it doesn't rely on the built universe that they've done with Marvel and everything like that. It's its own thing. It does sort of noir very well. And it's just really entertaining. And I gotta say, I, I will say this, uh, you don't want to get close to Jessica Jones because you're going to die probably. <laughs> Let's put it that way. There, there, there's a lot of surprising uh, moments in this uh, series. I, I was watching the first episode, and I kept thinking, isn't this like Veronica Mars all grown up? I mean, isn't this kind of the same story? Um, you know, yeah. I mean that in a good way, because, you know, kind of the, the clever, like, slightly tortured, uh, you know, lead character. Um, I've also seen people describe it as post-traumatic stress disorder. The series, so you know. pretty much, uh, you you you'll find she's a little bit more slightly tortured as the series goes on well, too. Y- yes, yes, yeah. It's 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 pretty fucking good. It's definitely worth watching. Uh, I know there's like a lot of hype around these uh, Marvel TV series, but so far, fucking Jessica Jones and Daredevil have both been fucking awesome. And I say, bring on fucking Luke Cage and the fucking Iron Fist. I want to see him. <laughs> They're fucking great. It's fucking great, man. 
It's really well done. And I think it benefits from the fact that they have, like, multiple writers and directors doing these series, as opposed to where you have, like, one or two people locked down for the fucking movies. And I, it feels like Marvel kind of gives them a bit more leeway on the Netflix series than they do the fucking movies, even though they still have their sort of set plan where you got to follow, like, the, uh, the Marvel's set plan for their movie universe or whatever. This one, it, it seems like they, they're more open to this, like, telling their own little self-contained stories. They don't have to necessarily have any great effect on their overall big overarching thing. So it, it's a lot more interesting. The, the Marvel films, and I'll, I'll be honest here, I, I was, I've been a big fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I'm a big fan of it because of the fandom around it, much more so than the, the universe itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's sort of one of those uh, where you listen to the way that fans talk about these series and kind of the, like, like one of my favorite internet memes ever is bisexual Steve Rogers. It's just one of those <laughs> things. Um, you know, th- there is, like, I am I am of the headcanon that Steve Ro- that the Marvel Cinematic Universe Steve Rogers is canonically bisexual. Like, it's just one of those things. Um... And I mean, you know, it, it just it, it just fits with the character so well. I'm I'm just I'm, I'm down for that. But it's totally something that like came out of fan culture. Like it's not something that like the filmmakers ever said so. It's just something that just comes out of like people interpreting glances in particular ways, and you know, interpreting the character in these ways. And I, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of of that. And um, increasingly, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is just kind of buried under its own weight. But when you're making these two hundred million dollar tentpole films, and like all these films are supposed to take place within, like, a few months of each other and, you know, that, that sort of thing. I mean, it definitely starts to feel, you know, the logical inconsistencies, you know, the minute you start to take it remotely seriously at this point, it, it, it just kind of falls under its own weight. But uh, the TV series, are because they're allowed to exist in these, um, in the liminal space, in this, in this kind of, in between this kind of bigger universe, and you're allowed to see kind of what the ordinary people of this world act like, mm-hmm. um, is, is much, much more interesting, and you don't have to justify $200 million worth of budget to do it. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is, is really the key, um, you know, for so me. You're, so, you're, so you're saying deep down, like, you know, what, uh, the, the scenes you don't see, you see uh, Tony Stark secretly thinking, yeah, Captain America, throw your mighty shield at me, you know. I, I, I think, uh, you know, to- Tony and uh, Steve, I don't necessarily buy... I mean, they're 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 not the couple I would go with. You know, I think, I think Steve, uh, Steve and, and Sam are definitely a, a couple. You know, um, you know, I think that uh, that Steve and uh, Black Widow have a have a, a very nice uh, fetish relationship. Personally, that's sort of my uh, my head canon. Uh, but I think he's really looking for a, a sweet uh, farm boy to to bed down with. You know, permanently. You know, that, that's sort of where I land on that. All right, and uh, I'll move on. I'll move on to. Uh, I had no idea what you guys were talking about for the last hour. That's great. That's awesome. It's, uh, sorry, I didn't say anything. I just wasn't involved. A <laughs> uh, couple, couple movies I saw. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, one, uh, the director of uh, Crazy uh, Mary, Dirty Larry, or whatever. Uh, he also did The Legend of Hell House, uh, ah, nineteen seventy-three. Roddy McDowell. Yes. I watched that on Netflix uh, the other day. I hadn't seen that in a long, long time, so I revisited it, and damn, it's refreshing to see a good fucking haunted house movie these days where, you know, it's not all dependent on fucking jump scares and bullshit. This was much more in line with, like, the original The Haunting from the 60s, 
Yeah. Um, it's just slightly updated, a uh, little bit more special effects than uh, yeah. the haunting, because the haunting only has like one special effect, and that's that scene with the where the door bulges in and out or whatever. Um, but man, really well done. Uh, um. The uh, it's a little dark. My VHS that I have is a little dark. I don't know how. What was your copy like? Uh, well, the one I saw on Netflix was all cleaned up, so it, okay. it looked really good. Um, and man, I, I love that film. It's just really well done. Uh, I don't want to get too much into spoilers because I think we'll probably cover it at some point. Probably my favorite haunted house film, as far as the old film or more films go, is uh, Thirteen Ghosts, the original Thirteen Ghosts. I have, yeah, I have that. That's pretty good too. That's, I really that's, like that one. That's a pretty innovative film for its time too. I mean, it had the it had the William Castle gimmicks in it, but yeah. uh, they worked pretty well, I think. And when the bed, the bed comes down to suffocator and stuff and stuff like yeah. that, I, I like that film a lot. Yeah. Um, another one I saw. I saw the uh, recent James Bond film, Spectre. I just saw Casino Royale. Did you? What did you think of that? I thought it was. How cool. do you how do you like Woody Allen's performance in that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I um. <laughs> I yeah, the, I, uh, just just in case you're confused, there, Paul. There was an original Casino Royale. Yeah, I know. I watched the new one. Okay. I was just say, yeah, I'm like, that's nah, not the one I got. I didn't have coffee today, so I'm not up to beat yet. Um, right. I'll slam my di- my dick in this drawer for a while and wake up. Um, I need to uh, um. I liked Casino Royale, but it was weird because it didn't start off. I didn't think it really started off as like the Bond films that I remember because I've never watched a new Bond film. I only watched, I only watched the first three actors. I've never watched any of the new ones, so it was more just like an uh, action-packed adrenaline ride kind of a film at the beginning. And I'm like, okay, we'll just do this the whole time. But then later, it's it got a little bit more, you know, swarthy, a little bit more like this. But the new Bond. Uh, Daniel Craig, he's a... I don't really give a fuck. I'm not here to, you know, get laid. I'm here to kill people. Kind of an attitude, which is pretty different to see a Bond that doesn't... He threw out, he threw out a couple one-liners, but he wasn't the Bond that I was used to. But it was good. Yeah, well, the thing about Daniel Craig's uh, Bond is, uh, especially in Casino Royale, that basically threw the standard Bond movie out the window. I mean, it yeah. sort of reinvented it quite a bit. I mean, the series eventually got back more to, to traditional Bond films as, as mm-hmm. it progressed. But uh, Daniel Craig, if you've ever read the source material for Bond, he is actually probably the closest, and he's yeah. actually my favorite Bond, he's the closest to the actual source material uh, that's ever been put on screen uh, outside still- of like Tim- Timothy Dalton. I'm still waiting for somebody to drop drive a Bentley though. I, you know, <laughs> the books are Bentleys, you know. And, yeah. But that uh, he and I didn't. I wasn't really happy when he took the Land Rover and and Range Rover and ran it to the Jag. I wasn't very happy about that. Yeah. Well, did. you you have some uh, uh, you have some uh, nasty feelings about Jags, though. I, yeah, I know. I know. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, there could have been a BMW there he could have ran into or something better, but you know. Yeah. Other than that, it was pretty interesting. The only thing that I thought was a little odd right at the end of the movie when I immersed myself into it, he called her a bitch at the end, and I was like, come on, you're better than that. Come on, you're better. Well, that's the, th- that's the thing. James Bond's character isn't better than that. He's actually a psychopath. Like, he, he is, he is a, like, as written in the, in the actual books, as much as he is sort of an sort of interesting pulp character that you can get, get behind and be interested in, mm-hmm. he's a straight-up misogynist psychopath. 
Well, and the the I don't even own a television podcast. The Bad Book podcast that I listen to religiously. <laughs> um, they just did the Casino Royale book. Yeah. And uh, it exposed the fact that uh, Bond in the original book is basically everybody's least favorite uncle. Um, yeah. <laughs> about how terrible his uh, his his uh, uncomfortable sandals are, and explaining Baccarat in uh, the most condescending way possible, and um, falling in love with a woman uh, after uh, meeting her for for two minutes. So um, yeah. Well, that's yeah. how I got my wife. It was just like boom. I, I always assumed that was like kind of an online bride thing. You know, yeah. No, after, well, <laughs> after I untied her and stuff like that, she became to like me after that, too, so it kind of worked out. I was more just complaining he should have used the word cunt instead of bitch. I mean, I thought he was a little fancier than that. You know, yeah. just anybody could say bitch. But, you know. uh, but yeah, the, the bond for the books, he, he's... he's uh, yeah, especially, especially early on, and I think this is the thing that the film series got really well in the first film, is that he is... He's just starting into the double O program. Before then, he was just a, a really highly skilled assassin, but he's also pretty much a base thug at the same time. Mm-hmm. And he makes mistakes. That's that's I think that's the important part of the film that kind of demystifies like the previous Bond films. And then, oh, yeah. in, in these in these films, he fucks up. He makes mistakes. By the time they got to um, Skyfall, he was getting older. He was broken down. He wasn't as good as some of the other agents as far as his physicals go, and the only thing that sort of made him win the day was the fact that he was just a tougher motherfucker than anybody else out yeah. there. Other than that, he still fucked up and made mistakes. I mean, like, he fucked up through the whole movie. I mean, he yeah. did. Like, especially, like, around the around just the, the table, he fucked up every every chance he had, it seemed. Yeah. It's, and, I mean, there uh, were of, but he still kind of worked it through, I guess, just because of tenacity, I guess. And and in the last film, uh, Skyfall, they sort of got back to sort of the standard James Bond formula to some degree, just a small degree, and it was really good. It was really refreshing. Here they even do it a bit more so in Spectre, and it's done really well. Uh, I will say uh, the complaints you see people saying the film's too fucking long. It is too fucking long. It's two and a half fucking hours. It shouldn't be two and a half hours. It's the longest James Bond film that's ever been made. And it did not need to be that long. Like, if you look back at all the other James Bond films throughout its history, it feels mm-hmm. like those films, they cut all the fat out of them. Uh, they're, you know, they just, they go boom, 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 to the next thing, to the next thing. There's no real lingering bullshit that you have to wade through. This yeah, one has a lot, yeah, th- this one has a lot of crap in it. It really does have yeah. a lot of crap in it. But it's still That's good. That's why my wife... My wife and I were we never watched them growing up, but one of these days I just decided I'm like, We gotta watch this. Donald Pleasance in it, Christopher Lee's in it, we gotta watch this shit. So we sat down and started watching all the Bond films and we couldn't believe how amazingly watchable they were. Like this doesn't bore me at all. I am completely enamored with the film the whole time. So I can understand what you're saying about, you know, they cut the fat out, they made them trim so it's easily be watchable because it was. My wife even said how about how easily watchable they were. Yeah. And now this one being so long, I think you'd have to be indebted to it a little bit or whatever. Yeah, this this one pays off uh, the previous films. It does like the 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 whole Daniel Craig series is is kind of uh, connected together, and it pays off really well in the end. Uh, it is too long, but uh, Daniel Craig's still really fucking good, really really engaging. Uh, Christoph Waltz makes a great Blofeld. Uh, he does a really fucking great job. They even put nods back to the uh, uh, 
Donald Pleasant's blow fell near the end of the film, which is really nice. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And uh, overall, it was actually a pretty satisfying conclusion to the whole uh, Daniel Craig, uh, James Bond films. So uh, I can't complain too much, but you, you gotta you got to know going in that it's going to be a long slog through, though. It's two and a half hours, so okay. you got to be prepared for that. The only other one that I really wanted to see as far as the actors goes, I'd like to check out the one Timothy Dalton did. Timothy Dalton's really good too. Uh, he did two of the he did two films, and okay. uh, one of them is not quite as good as the other one. His first one was really good. The second one story really sucked. But Timothy Dalton's also kind of like Daniel Craig, where he's sort of more of a tough, rugged, take no prisoners kind of Bond. He, he's right. not so much the suave ladies' man who's making quips and shit. He's actually you know getting dirty with with the bad guys, getting his fist bloody and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. he's pretty he's pretty entertaining. He's, he's pretty good. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, um, execute him before I watch the film. But um, the Pierce Brosnan ones, I'm not really too into watching those. I They're just can't. Bad. I can't get past Mrs. Doubtfire in my head. <laughs> well, I just I see. I see. See. I see Mrs. Doubtfire. I just. I can't. You know do it. what? The the irony is that Pierce Brosnan's first Bond was directed by Martin Campbell, who also directed uh, Casino Royale. Oh, there you go. I thought you were going to say Mrs. Doubtfire for a second. (laughs) It it is like you watch those two side by side, and you're just like, man, this is the same fucking director? And then after after doing Casino Royale, he went on to direct Green Lantern. Just uh, to... uh, Jesus. Yeah. Jesus Christ, no. (laughs) Martin Martin Uh, Campbell should not be trusted with CGI environments. That's really what we learned. Or Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds should not be near him. Christmas Eve night, I saw sleigh and reindeer in the light. I snuck around the window to see Santa naked with my woman under the tree. Some gifts and said with a sneer, 
since I had your woman, I guess I owe you a beer. <laughs> Swig and cracked it over his head. Oh, oh, he screamed. Oh. That's when I grabbed his gun and I, I jumped behind a tree. Slowly into the air, I pulled the trigger and saw a puff of white hair. A few bleeding elves cut loose the dead reindeer, threw a sheet over Santa slumped over in the sleigh, and Christmas would never be the same since that day. Alright, so we're going to get to the sort of uh, the main thrust of this episode, I guess. Uh, holiday films. Uh, again, it was just uh, the Americans. You guys had your uh, Thanksgiving uh, just the other day. And uh, we're approaching the Christmas season, and of course we had Halloween before that. So uh, we decided we're just going to do a sort of a general chat on holiday films, throw out some films uh, that we like and want to talk about. So... Um, Buck, I'll just uh, I'll just throw over to Daniel if you want to start uh, throwing out a couple of films you want to mention. Sure. Well, I'll I'll start with uh, possibly the greatest Thanksgiving scene of all time, which I'm just gonna say is the uh, the in Adam's Family Values the uh, <laughs> the uh, the great uh, pageant the uh, the the uh, thing that the kids do 
uh, attacking the uh, the white people for uh, destroying the Native Americans. I think that is uh, that clip is on YouTube. I, I watch it every year right around this time. I saw the film recently, so I just want to just not even the movie is great. But that scene is really like worth just watching by itself. So I'm just going to throw that out there as my first thing. And then I'm going to just name the single greatest Christmas movie ever made, and that is Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> I, nice. so I, my, my, uh, my favorite Christmas movie is Gremlins. That was, that was number two for me, so, you know. Ah, but, okay, so we're close. But I, but I had to throw Die Hard out there before anybody else got to it. So, you know, okay. that, that's the one. When I think Christmas movie, I think... Barefoot Bruce Willis killing terrorists. It's just a you know, it's just a thing. Cut, cutting his feet on glass, you know. Cutting it's his feet on glass, you know. Yippee ki yay, motherfucker. Reginald Vil Johnson uh, killing a, a Swedish man at the end, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Playing the inept cop for the entire film before he actually gets to do something. That's great. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. But uh, yeah, uh, and you know, uh, I really like Bruce Willis in some ways, and in other ways, I kind of loathe the motherfucker. So. I, I, I get perverse joy out of seeing him chop his feet up on glass at the same time as uh, saving the day. So it's a good balance right there. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, and uh, Alan Rickman's first uh, film role. Yeah, so. Alan yeah, amazing. And he was, what, in his 40s when he when he got his first he was, role? He was like 40 years old, 41, yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah. And he just went on to be fucking awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, like, uh, I, I heard a story from the one guy. He said... Um, he was at a like a little family get together, and then the one guy, the one he he hates being thinks that he's being stereotyped. But the one kid there goes, Uncle Alan, why do you always play bad guys? And he looked at him and goes, I don't play bad guys. I play very interesting people. Yeah, I'm like, oh, there you go. And that's a great mentality too. Um, it, it, it's sort it's sort of a something that transfers directly from the mentality of people in professional wrestling who play uh, heels professionally. Um, the best ones are the ones who believe they're right. The best villains are the ones who believe they're in the right. And mm. uh, they're the more interesting villains. So, I mean, you look at Alan Rickman's character in Die Hard, he doesn't believe he's a bad guy. He thinks everything he's doing is justified and he's right. And that's what makes him an interesting villain. So yeah. Well, I mean, he's just a thief. And that's yeah. like, like, I'm just stealing money. Fuck off. You know, like, I'm ripping off this, this massive corporation. And I mean, really, like... From the, yeah, there is now. I kind of want to do an alternate reading of Die Hard, where Alan Rickman was the hero the whole time. Well, I'm basically, leave that for now. basically, Alan Rickman was Robin Hood. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that that's kind of like you can totally see like the Japanese like taking over Los Angeles, and then Alan Rickman coming in and being like, "Fuck you guys, I'm taking your 150 million dollars or whatever." Like, yeah, you know, he's gonna he's, he's yeah. gonna spread the wealth. You know, who cares if a couple of yuppies eat a fucking gun? <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, if you if you're talking about some of those characters in that movie who who end up dying, deserve to die. Like, I'm sorry, you're a rich fucking asshole. Really, Bruce Willis's character just got in the way because if it hadn't been. Yeah. For us, everything would have ended peacefully. They would have just stolen all the money. Like, and the one guy, and the one guy would play would play a perfect little John. Yeah, the one that <laughs> dies, they dies with a chain around his neck. So that works. Oh out yeah, good. the big, the big blonde Swedish guy, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, and Bruce Willis, really, he's just sort of the uh, status quo that gets in the way. Uh, is essentially what he is. He just, he just, he just, he just brings everything back to the status quo. So he's, yeah, he's not he's, necessarily. He's he's really a I mean he he is the cop 
like wow. the New York cop coming in and like and like really he's the, um, the sheriff of Nottingham he's, ruined he's it. The, he's the voice of the establishment, like refusing yeah. to allow radical um, leftist politics to uh, to we level tried. the uh, the playing field for for the oppressed minorities. I'm he tried to make the world a better place, and you just ruined it. Way to go! <laughs> so Bruce Willis is the greatest villain of all time. I'm sure I'm sure Kevin Smith would actually agree with that one. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, just based on cop out, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Man, now I totally want to cover Die Hard on this show, and I'm gonna yeah. bring that perspective to it. I think that I think we can do that. Yeah. We could, yeah. yeah. I like it. I like it. And then uh, Die Hard Two, Fred Thompson's in that, right? Yes. Yeah, and he just died, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he just died yeah, yeah, the yeah. last week, I think. Yeah. 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 Anyway, sorry, completely beside the point. Another Christmas movie. Yeah, uh, I actually like Die Hard 2 as well, but um, that one got shit on because that one, like, up-amped the violence up. It got even more bloody and, and brutal. Yeah, I, I don't I don't much like Die Hard 2, but uh, the, the first one's a classic. You know? um, well, I, uh, my favorite Die Hard is uh, With Avengers, actually. I like that one quite a bit. Really? Yeah, I like that one quite a bit. Is that part three? That's yeah, part, part three. three. Yeah. With Samuel L. Jackson and... Why do you call him, keep calling me Jesus? My name is <laughs> Jesus. Like a motherfucking bolt lightning up your ass. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> He's just yelling. He's Sam. that's what he does. He just yells. That, that was still the period where every every director wanted to get Sam uh, Jackson in to be the black guy who yells a lot in their film. He just yells, yeah. yeah. He's not <laughs> acting. He's just yelling. This was pre-Pulp Fiction, so this was like the era when Samuel Jackson was just like that, like the black guy that's in a movie. Then mm-hmm. once Pulp Fiction happened, suddenly he's a star. So this yeah. is that, that was that era. You know, uh, my my favorite Sam Jackson role is, uh, or one of my favorite Sam Jackson moments is the fact that he's in Goodfellas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, Samuel Jackson was in Goodfellas, and all he does is get shot in the head. That is literally Samuel Jackson's role in Goodfellas. Well, he he, he does he does almost the exact same role in uh, True Romance. He, he's briefly in True Romance too, where he gets gunned down. Well, what about Coming to America? He was in <laughs> he was in McDowell's. He had the shotgun. And that's yeah. right. He, yeah, he yeah, yeah. yeah. We're we're far afield from uh, holiday movies at this point, but I don't really care. Yeah, who gives a oh, shit? there's holidays in all those movies. Somewhere. Yeah. Uh, fuck it, what was I going to say? Yeah, I, say, I guess I like, do it easy. I, I like Sam Jackson in uh, Die Hard 3. I liked, uh, I think the best part of that was, uh, I think the best part of that movie was Sam Jackson, Jeremy Irons, and the scene where Bruce Willis has to walk through, what was it, Harlem, with a sign saying, yeah. I hate niggers. I hate niggers, yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. And he saves the day. Saves yeah. the day. I'm tired of all these motherfucking terrorists in this motherfucking bank. Yeah, That's pretty much. It. Yeah. You know, Bruce Willis just wears that sign in general now. Like he wasn't like that wasn't like for the movie. He was just. Doing I thought that was Mel Gibson <laughs> that wears that sign now. No, Mel Gibson, it's Kikes. I mean, that's... Oh, yeah. Who doesn't date Kikes? I mean, come on, let's go now. Merry Christmas. You killed Jesus. Oh, you bastard sellouts. And, you know, uh, say what you want about Mel Gibson, but uh, I actually think he's a pretty fucking talented director. I think he's actually a really great director, but fucking, you know... Uh, um, My wife watches the... Uh, the um the Amazonian Mayan film he did and I oh, just can't. Oh, uh, Yeah, he she watches that all the time. 
I love that film. That's a great yeah, chase film. That's it's good. It is. It's really good. It's well done. Like it's historically it's bullshit, but just yeah. like Braveheart, it's total bullshit. But, what do you mean? What do you mean? That never yeah. happened? No. It, it, the stuff in Braveheart, mean? basically 90% of Braveheart never actually happened. Oh, basically, well, so... so yeah, 90% yeah, but, conservatively. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, uh, but, look, look at his uh, Passion of the Christ. None of that actually happened, so yeah. what the hell? It doesn't really matter at this yeah, point. But, but uh, Apocalypto is actually a great chase film. His most yeah, that, historically accurate good. film, Forever Young. Forever Young. <laughs> Man Without a Face. Man Without a Face, yeah. I love that film. I actually like that film quite a bit. <laughs> okay, more holiday films. Throw them out there. Oh, um, uh, my favorite, favorite, favorite is Nightmare Before Christmas. There you go. Nice. That's a good one, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it, that's, night, that's, that's Halloween and Christmas. Boom, right in the same shot. There yeah, you go. Two for one. Two for one. Uh, one that I saw part of uh, yesterday while we were uh, kind of doing the festivities, and I'm definitely going to like track down and watch uh, at some point. Uh, Home for the Holidays. Uh, this okay. is a uh, this was actually Jodie Foster directed this, um, which is is kind of amazing. It's got Holly Hunter. It's got this amazing cast, honestly. Um, but Holly Hunter is the lead, and um, all I know is she has a shot where you get to see her ass and white panties, and it's uh, amazing. And uh, Robert Downey Jr. is in the film as a gay man, and apparently I mean, this was made in the mid-90s when he was in his heroin phase. Mm -hmm. Apparently in interviews he said he basically does not remember this film. He was just <laughs> the entire time. Uh, but he's great in it. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing, and I watched maybe 30 minutes of this film and went, I'm going to have to sit down and, and watch this at some point. It's one of these like dysfunctional families getting together for the holidays sort of thing. Only it's like the dysfunctional members of the family are the ones in, who are like the good guys, and the normal um, people, the the kind of stuck up bitch who's the normal person is the um, one that's kind of causing friction for everybody. So, um, kind of kind of a, a nice feel good uh, holiday film for the for the masses, I, I would think. You know? there, was, um, there was another film like that, which reminded me of the dysfunctional family. Was it like Two If by Sea or something like that? It had Dennis Leary that, in it. Oh, I, I have not seen that. But that yeah, was that's during it. the time when Sandra Bullock was in like everything. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so this piece of shit come out. Nova, 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 Nova. It's a good, it's, a, it's actually a pretty funny film. Sure. This Dennis Leary screaming at everybody the whole time. He's kind of like a white, you know, Sam. So that works out well. Okay, yeah. back to back to Die Hard. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, I like I like Dennis Leary as film roles, not so much as a comedian because he basically just ripped off Bill Hicks. Uh, yeah, explicitly. Uh, and he I mean, he, he he said a half Bill Hicks and a half George Carlin, and uh, less clever than both. Like that was yeah, the, you know. There, there, there's a great. Uh, it was uh, what's that guy uh, Quinlan or whatever the fuck his name is from Saturday Night Live who had a show for a while. Colin uh, he, Quinn. Colin Quinn, yeah, and he had. Uh, You're thinking of Hank Quinlan from uh, Touch of Evil, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is a kind of a different guy. Uh, Colin Quinn, he had that show where he had some similar like, weight problems. Sorry, I'm I'm a fat. Yeah, yeah. I get to make fun of other people's weight, right? <laughs> Colin Quinn, you fat bastard. Colin Quinn, you conservative right wing douchebag. I'm gonna make fun of your weight. That's what I'm gonna yeah, do. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but he had that show where he had like comedians on and stuff, and then there was this. I can't remember who the fuck it was. But someone just like basically started throwing it in Dennis Leary's face about how unfunny he was and how much he stole other people's jokes and shit. It was 
it was pretty be- it was pretty be- beautiful because you know Dennis Leary's a piece of garbage as far as that's concerned. But uh, yeah, there we go. That's Did a little Dennis aside. Did a Christmas movie? I, I kind of feel like there's a Dennis Leary Christmas movie. He, I, I think he's done Christmas specials. I'm pretty sure he's done that. I kind of feel like there was like one of his crime movies was set during Christmas, but I, I don't. What well, uh, we'll just say Judgment Night was. How about yeah, <laughs> with I, with Ice T. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Demolition Man? Was De- Demolition Man set during uh, Christmas? Yeah. This is a rap burger? It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think they would have had Christmas in the universe of Demolition Man. It would have been too politically incorrect and it would have exactly. hurt someone's feelings. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, can we go with uh, another politically incorrect uh, Christmas movie? Mm-hmm. Bad Santa. Bad, I was gonna Bad, say Bad Santa, Santa is Bad fucking Santa? great. You're not going to shit right for a week. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's pretty much my sexual technique, by the way. You're not getting yes. shit right for, for a week. <laughs> that, that, that's that's just, that is the only way to roll, my friend. Pack that yeah. foot. That is uh, one of the last great Billy Bob Thornton films. And uh, I think John Ritter's last film, if not yeah, his last film, yeah, and Bernie Mac as well. I think Bernie Mac as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tony Cox is great in that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Lauren Graham. Lauren Graham is super fucking she's hot. She's so in that hot film. in that film, and funny and amazing. Like she's really good in that film. Yeah, um, the, it, it, uh, every time I think of that film, it's fuck me Santa, fuck me Santa, fuck me Santa. <laughs> yep. yeah. No, that's that's you know, I I thought about doing the the whole uh, Santa thing this this mm-hmm. year, and uh, just like if I just wore the hat. And just Jeez. walk around. Maybe I could find a Santa fetishist who looks like Lauren Graham. That would be the, uh, <laughs> that would be the best. That would be awesome. Uh, that, that that's a great film. Uh, you have to see the batter Santa cut though. Like that's yeah. the essential for that. I don't and, think I've seen that cut. I've seen. I saw the film theatrically actually. That's that's ah, what I actually. Oh, you gotta get a DVD get the batter Santa. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I know that the original cut is on Netflix now. I may have to buy the DVD just to uh, just to check out the the alternate cut. But yeah, I, yeah. I love that film. It's so fucking mean spirited. Like that. Mm-hmm. That just that just uh, jives with my sense of comedy and humor. I, I like mean spirited comedy. I kind of I, I kind of want to do that as a double feature with Observe and Report. That's sort of, I always that, connect that, those two films in my head, you know? You know what? That's actually a pretty fucking great pairing now that you mention it, yeah. Observer Report is pretty fucking mean-spirited as well. So, yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a fucking good combo. One of my favorite uh, holiday movies that probably won't work with Canada, but is Groundhog Day. What? We have that, Groundhog Day in Canada? Yeah, what the fuck yeah. are you talking about? I just thought you had Moose Day. No, yeah, I'm all gra- fucked up. Yeah, groundhogs, our groundhogs are less efficient than yours, apparently. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Well, I love that film, and Groundhog so, Day uh, is technically a holiday, so yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, as long as, as long as we're we're moving out of the uh, like winter holiday season, I mean, let's just talk Independence Day. That's always a, uh, a great, great <laughs> welcome to Earth. Welcome to Earth. So, I heard they're making an Independence Day too. Yeah, they are, and thank fuck Will Smith ain't in it, so, you oh, know. Oh, that's good. Uh, uh, I mean, that that was around the point where w- Will Smith started getting really annoying, where every movie he was going, oh, hell no! And oh, hell no! And then he has that scene where he basically just punches out an alien in the desert, and I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. this well, movie's speak- done. Speaking of a guy who says the same line ever again, punching an alien, I did just watch Predator 2. 
Um, well, well, Danny Glover is allowed to punch an alien because he's... And after Danny, all he said, Danny Glover getting, can do whatever the fuck he wants because he's Danny getting Glover. Too old, getting too old for this shit. I'm like, yes, yeah, say it exactly. again, Danny. Yeah, you're getting too old for Predators, isn't, yeah. Isn't, isn't Lethal Weapon set during the Christmas season? I seem to remember so. Uh, or, maybe one of them is, yeah. 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 And uh, at the end of... At the end of um, uh, Predator 2, he gets the gun, a colonial gun, and it says 1776 on it, so that's independence. So there you go, Bob. Yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, Wrapping yeah. all around. There you go. That's an underrated film, by the way. I, I actually could, really love back Predator to Die too. Hard. Yeah, that <laughs> film is that that film is, I think, just as good as this, the original. Yeah, I, I I I do too. I I think maybe the problem is that maybe Danny Glover isn't quite the strong lead as uh, fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger to some degree. But at the same time, I really like him. I, I like the different setting. I like the way they did the story. I know it's... Uh, they Again, it's another uh, example of, like say, say, like with Guy Die Hard 2, where they amped up the violence and made it more brutal. But I think it works for Predator yeah. 2. I think it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that in years. I know people shit on that, but I remember liking it when I was like 13 and I saw that film, which yeah. probably means it's awesome. Like if I was 13 and liked it, because everything I liked when I was 13 holds yeah. up. That's it's the, got it's that's, got Bill Paxton being a douchebag. It's got Gary Busey. What movie doesn't have Bill Paxton being a douchebag uh, in 1993? Uh, like, uh, I can't remember. Oh, Bill Paxton, the only person that was killed by the Predator, an alien, and a Terminator. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, whenever I think of Bill Paxton, I think of two roles, and we're way off the holiday theme now, but I, I always think of uh, Frailty and uh, Weird Science. Those are the two that I always think uh, of. Oh, uh, yeah, movies. yeah, he's great in Weird Science, and Frailty's a fucking great movie. That's another underrated fucking film. Uh, like, yeah. I can't believe more people don't talk about that film. Frailty, another film I saw theatrically. Yeah. I've never seen Frailty. I know it has that kind of, oh, like... Oh, man. Other- there's a demon in her. Let's cut her up. I have to go probably check it out. You so. have to see Frailty, dude. Like, yeah. you are missing out big time. That is a great but, fucking horror movie. It's one of the best fucking films from the 1990s. Hands down, horror and anything else. It's one of the I best. think that's 2000. I think that's it's actually 2000? Okay, well, fuck yeah. me. What do I know? Yeah, yeah, I know, because Ravenous is one of the best from then. Yeah, the Ravenous night. is 99, I know, but, you know, yeah. I think Frailty's 2000. But I have to say, though, you know, I just got done, you know, watching that with Gary Busey, and I watched also Silver Bullet with Gary Busey, and then he had to cancel the fireworks for Independence Day, so wrap it back around, punch an alien in the face. <laughs> Another Christmas movie? Can I just yeah. start naming them? National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Okay, yeah, there you go. That's That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those, one of those that like I kind of grew up on, you know, and and really that's kind of what we look for in the Christmas movies is like, oh, I grew up on this, you know, the like, stuff yeah, you watch like, every year, stuff, yeah. stuff that I I could kind of sit down and just watch, and um, I think it's a, uh, it's kind of become an underrated classic, I think, and oh yeah, for me, you know, it's certainly one, um, you know, I'll I'll be honest, the uh, the holiday season, the quote unquote, you know, Thanksgiving to Christmas, I worked retail jobs for fifteen years, fuck Christmas, you know, like that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, it's just sort of, it's just a time of year where you're just working all the time and you just hate yourself and hate everybody around you. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully as I get, as I get further away from that, I can, I can start to embrace these Christmas films uh, a little bit more. But, uh, I do remember growing up and loving uh, Christmas Vacation, but I haven't seen it in a long time. I like the old guy in it because I actually watched the producers with Mel, the Mel Brooks's producers, which I love very much. And he's still old. You were never young. <laughs> That's he was awesome. Never, his, hair, his hair happened to be black, 
so it wasn't gray, but he was old. Look at it. He's old. And he was in the Wings special, Christmas special, so I'm going to wrap that right back around because I just watched there you that. Go. Sweet. There Sweet. And he's, he's, he's like one of those uh, actors who, who always looks like they're old. Like, yeah, like he's Louis, always like, old. Like, <laughs> like uh, Louis Guzman, who we were talking about in Punch Drunk Love. Like, even in his early roles, he looks like he's fucking 40. <laughs> no, it's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> Okay, I'll, well, I'll throw a couple out here. Uh, um, fuck, we'll, we'll, we'll go for uh, Thanksgiving. How about planes, trains, and automobiles? That takes... That That's goes, on my list, yep. Yeah, that, that takes place during Thanksgiving. Uh, great fucking, uh, I guess, buddy comedy in a way between uh, Steve yeah. Martin and John Candy. And it's, it's, like, their... it's like the odd couple on, on doing a road trip. That's sort of yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, it's the it's the it's the let's just it's the lesser version of Tommy Boy really like let's just let's just land on that you know yeah well but, I'm uh, al- I'm yeah. always gonna be a little kid so I always do the peanuts and the peanuts pretty much cover almost every holiday to a certain extent they have like a little mm-hmm. like Halloween and Christmas and Thanksgiving and uh, they have an East Day of Easter Beagle and basically I'm always gonna be a kid and I have kids too so I can glorify my kidness with them so that's good yeah. so I always watch those every time yeah. But I, 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 I finally remember. I haven't watched it in a while, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, but I finally remember it. I, I used to watch it all the time when I was you know, That's a sad thing, me too. I used to watch that growing up all the time, and I haven't watched it in 20 years. It used I mean, to I, be, I think it used to be like one of those that was in constant rotation on like mm-hmm. TBS or whatever, and, and I now that that isn't like a way that we watch movies anymore, I think it, it it's it's fallen out of uh, kind of that like just constantly in our consciousness, but it's one that... I'm I'm kind of the same way with Paul. I haven't seen that in years and years, and I definitely want to revisit that at some point because I have very fond memories of it. It's, yeah, because I used know. to watch. I, every time I watched that, I would watch uh, The Jerk, and I used to watch Great Outdoors. Oh God, The Great Outdoors! Yeah, Jesus, that that <laughs> man, I've seen that so many times. And, and both then, of those films have a great ass joke. You know, yeah. those aren't cars. <laughs> and then you know, like blow it out your ass from The Great Outdoors. You know. Yeah. And the and, uh, what is it the the eighty sixer the ninety sixer, the ninety six ounce steak. Mm, I yeah, 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 yeah. Gotta, eat, gotta eat that fat. Eat that fat. <laughs> yeah. The, um, and the last time I watched those, Camp Candy was still on the air. Oh yeah, shit. Yeah, that cartoon. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, I miss John Candy. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so fucking good. Like I, I honestly, as good as a lot of his movies are, his best stuff was SCTV. Yeah. Where he was just playing these like really awkward, uh, weird, out of out of bounds fucking characters. Where a lot of the, a lot of the time, a lot of the stuff wasn't necessarily traditionally funny, but it, in the context of what he was doing, it was like really great. Like he's he's kind of a kind of an underappreciated comedian. I just I remember. I think it's if it, that was John Candy. Uh, was it John Candy that was doing the Bears? How about them Bears? My heart stopped. No, nope, there it goes. I can't remember. I'm trying to remember. It's it's blending in my brain. My John Candy's melting my brain right now. I can't. You know, John Candy was in JFK. Was he? Yeah, he has a very small role as like this uh, this guy smoking cigarettes and uh, informing uh, Kevin Costner about uh, some element of the conspiracy early in the film. He's like one of the first people that. Kevin Costner talks to about, uh, you know. Okay, I, I totally don't remember that at all, but I totally buy it at the same time because 
that is a character he could play, like, totally. Cause like, he's basically playing it as, like, this, like, aging 50s, like, hipster, hepcat kind of guy, you know? So he's kind of got that, come on, man, and he's, like, smoking a cigarette, like, super close, you know? <sighs> you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, really, you know, that's a, you know, JFK is a film we could definitely talk about at some point, yeah. but uh, you, um, you watch that film and... Uh, Oliver Stone put in so many different actors just from, you know, uh, uh, who you would just recognize physically, you know, because you, you've got so many people in it and he, you know, like, we'll shoot you for four hours and then you're done, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a very physical role and it shows that John Candy, he, he had more in him than just the, the roles we think of him for. And then I, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he could uh, do drama. I mean, uh, although it was, I guess... Uncle Buck, that was drama. Yeah. Uncle Buck was Uncle Buck was the other film. I that that's when I think of a John Candy film, that's the one I think of. Because, yeah. you know. but, but he he could do drama. I mean, think of something like uh, Only the Lonely, which is kind of a comedy, but it's a drama at the same time. I haven't seen Only the Lonely. I need to see yeah. that. John Candy should have played Gacy. <laughs> Jesus, wow, that would have been a that would have been a fucking turn. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I, I could see him doing like like you know like a chain-smoking hipster, because, I mean, a lot of stuff he did on SCTV was, like, uh, sort of, like, hucksters and uh, hard-boiled talking kind of guys and stuff yeah. like that. Like, you know, so, like, he's he really good at that shit, so... Didn't he always used to impersonate Madden? John Madden? I remember. Uh, I, I don't remember if he ever did John Madden, but he, he definitely did Orson Welles a lot. Okay. He wow. He did. He did a lot of great Orson Welles. I've actually never seen an episode of SCTV. Now I want to look up John Candy doing Orson Welles. This is yeah. uh, this is going to be a thing. Uh, does Uncle Buck count as a uh, holiday film? Does that take place? During, was it uh... was it during a holiday? I can't remember. It's a, it's a fucking awesome. I film, but... I, I have a the holiday feel, film that I think of with John Candy is because uh, he plays a, a cameo in uh, Home Alone. There you go. And, and at the train at the, at, the tra- at the train station, or they had the polka band in the back, and he drove. The- right. Yes. Of course. Yeah. yeah no. Because uh, yeah. uh, I remember my mom took us to watch that in the theater, and for some reason we drove all the way to Scranton, Pennsylvania, to watch it in the theaters. And she's like, "I've been to here. I've been to here. I've been to here. Where the hell am I now? Scranton." And I'm like, "Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're in Scranton right now, bitch." The only thing that really Scranton, you know, that you should think of for Scranton is like, hey, a The Office, you know, never, never watched it, and uh, Joe Biden. Those, those are the two things that you should think mm-hmm. of for the Scranton. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to think of Joe Biden. Only. I don't want to think of Joe Biden, and I didn't see, uh, I didn't see <laughs> the, the Office. Actually, didn't the Office originally come from England, and they just yes. stole it? Yes, it did. That, yeah, well, how that they, they, there were like there were like five different versions of it that were on oh, TV okay. shows around. And uh, the Office is actually a show that did a Christmas episode every year. I was so going to say they better do back. a Christmas episode because back in the day, I think you, I don't think they do it anymore. But shows used to do holiday episodes. My well, favorite. Well, okay, well here we go. Here's the greatest holiday episode for a sitcom ever done. WKRP in Cincinnati, their Thanksgiving episode. With the turkey drop, the live turkey drop from the fucking helicopters. I swear to God, I thought turkeys could fucking fly. Jesus Christ! <laughs> That's a classic. My uh, favorite TV show is uh, is News Radio. That was my favorite. <laughs> News Radio is awesome. And they, they had the Halloween. They had the you know the 
the, the Christmas episode, shit like that. So I was uh, always a big fan of his radio. Again, for, a Canadian. For more modern, uh, Bob's Burgers does a Thanksgiving episode every year. And uh, they do, you know, Bob Belcher is uh, well known for his uh, turkey preparation, which never goes the way he plans. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great show. I, we've been, Shane and I just put that on, like, regularly at this point, just as, just as a background radiation in the house almost. Just mm-hmm. Bob's Burgers is just always playing in our heads. It's a thing. Yeah, I'm going to throw one out here, which is a more of a, a obscure one. Uh, probably, I don't, I don't think either of you guys have seen this, probably. Uh, it's called Blast of Silence from 1961, I believe the year was. I still it, have that tab open on my PC because I want to watch that. <laughs> it is a Hitman film, um, black and white, and it is set during the Christmas holidays. A Hitman goes to New York to kill some targets, and it is really well done. Um, it is uh, it's a lot deeper than a lot of Hitman films, um, as he's basically walking around New York with the Christmas season going on, he feels more and more isolated and more and more uh, out of place. Um, he reconnects with some people in his life from the past, and it just makes him feel more and more dissolute and uh, depressed. And uh, it's actually it does a good job of sort of bringing in that Christmas atmosphere and how some people actually uh, feel during Christmas, like. Uh, as much as people want to make, like, oh, Christmas is a happy time and everyone's happy and shit, honestly, you know, they, they make a point of, you know, there's a lot of suicides during Christmas. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people uh, see all the people who are happy around them and feel more and more depressed and despondent. And this film, I think, kind of captures that really, really well. And uh, it sets him off his game. Like, he's a professional hitman, and the Christmas season essentially throws him off his game and makes him fuck up and make mistakes. I think, that's what, I think that was what Gremlins tried to do, too. You know, some people mm-hmm. are having a good time, and some people are fighting Gremlins. So yeah. Isn't, isn't the apartment set in the Christmas season, and it kind of plays with the same ideas? I can't remember. Like, I've only seen that. Or maybe it's New Year's. Maybe it's New Year's. But I know there's a scene in a bar that's during a holiday. Well, um, I, I was wondering if anyone was going to actually go into that dark hollow <laughs> of holiday films where you go, okay, Silent Night, Bloody Night, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Don't Open Till Christmas, and uh, no New Year's Evil, and Santa's Sleigh, uh, uh, Rare Cargo, and Rare Well, Xbox, I, I was going to mention I was going to mention Rare Cargo, and I was yeah. uh, kind of expecting you to bring up the other ones, so... Yeah, I'm like, okay, here it is, all the horror fucking films. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the apartment uh, takes place, like, between Christmas and New Year's Eve, so... Yeah. Yes. There you go. Right on. One of our one of our favorite one of Lee's and I anyways favorite films was actually filmed during Christmas, so that must have been one hell of a shoot to clean it up and set up all the Christmas stuff every every time they got done filming, which is Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And mm-hmm. then of course they shot in the mall and they only could shoot during the night and they actually had to clean everything up before the fucking mall yep. opened in the morning. Right. Yeah. Yep. Put everything back, all the Christmas stuff and everything. Yep. Mm-hmm. Can I go with a bona fide classic? Go ahead. It's a Wonderful Life. And it really isn't, though. I found out. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I also, I, I also think it's a Wonderful Life or Socialism the movie. Like that's kind uh, of, it's yeah. a capitalism <laughs> movie. You know, like that's that's just you know. I thought you were actually gonna say a uh, uh, Christmas Story for a classic. But I yeah, was, I was for like, me, for me, it's a Wonderful Life is the is the one. Like that's right, the, right. Like, that's the one that was always oh, playing. Oh yeah, no, no, that's I, that, that's the one you wish you were watching while you were getting tortured with a twenty four hours of a Christmas story. Oh, yeah, I forgot. That's right. <laughs> I, I wish they'd alternate between It's a Wonderful Life and a Christmas Story, so you could watch like, hey. you know, I don't, I don't hate a Christmas Story, but I don't like have that immediate connection to it the way a lot of people do. Hey, he's Cole Jack the Night Stalker to me. I like it. Yeah. Hey, and that kid went on to do uh, porn, so you know. Hey. <laughs> yeah, uh, his uh, Red Rider gun or whatever uh, took on. Apparently, movie. apparently, right. it only shoots blanks. That's yeah. The <laughs> You'll, you'll oh, give her a pink eye. Easy there. Yeah, Jesus. Um, I, I, I'm not a big fan of It's a Wonderful Life, honestly. I, I, it's one of those ones that, yeah, it's a everyone considers a bona fide classic, and it's one of those ones that just kind of feels, I don't know, it doesn't work for me as well. There's, there's a lot of films that play off that. Film. I, I do I do sort of appreciate like there there is a darkness in that film that is is kind of nice. <laughs> well, it's and... it's a film that's about suicide. Like I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, like for 1941 Frank Capra film, like you you really can't like push too hard on that. Like basically, this is a film about like I'm gonna kill myself. No, let's talk about the fact that maybe you shouldn't kill yourself. Yeah, the best. Um, film, there's there's far more suicides in in, uh, in Groundhog Day. Yeah, that's true. Is is there not a website somewhere that some guy tallied up how many years Bill Murray actually spent in Groundhog Day? Apparently, like like if you actually like follow the movie through, like how many days he must have actually lived over and over again before he finally fucking got out of the loop? I'm pretty sure there is somewhere. I, I'm, even, I heard there was. There, there, there is. So, like, if you and I wish I'd known because I would have looked it up and had it. But it's like if you just look at like the number of actual days that you see, it's in the years. Like it's it's not like some. But then, like you add up, like like he learns how to like do ice carving during the film. He right. learns how to like throw cards. He learns how to like play piano. He learns how to do, and when you add up the amount of time that it would take him to learn to do all these things, I mean, it could be like thousands of years that he's yeah. in. Yeah, I, I always assumed it was the same day repeating itself, not a whole calendar year repeating himself. But at the same time, at the same time, Daniel makes the point that I already thought of as how long does it actually take you to learn how to play the motherfucking piano? Because I'm working on 13 years now, still don't get it. You know what I mean? Like so that kind of yeah. Play. I mean, but if, but if all you had to do, like, if you were literally like, I'm immortal. Yeah, like, literally, like, yeah. I can go and I can spend thirty years and just every day get up and learn to play the piano. Right, and, and you like, see that, and that, or, and that or, begs or, the or plan out the bank robbery or the the, the bank. Right, robbery. right, exactly. And you see that begs the question, like, would he have not gone just like totally fucking insane by that point, or does his well, mental state reset every fucking day? Well, like, and you can imagine that like maybe he did. Like, no, just go, he kept just on jumping. Off, he just kept on jumping off buildings and trying to play chicken with a train. I think it'll score first. I love I, it. I you love can, it. You can you can imagine like if you want to go super dark, you can imagine that he does like for twenty years just go bonkers. 
like yeah. not to, not to be ableist, but he but he he just he just goes off his rocker for a while, and mm. like but he he's still like he just gets up every day and he's just com- he's out of his mind. I mean, that's and then the eventually best part he just kind of grabs sanity again and then like yeah. he goes on. Yeah, because it's really it's really it's, it's a dark comedy. comedy. It's really so, dark yeah, comedy. so there so there's definitely at least one day in there where he basically just face fucks Chris Elliott. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would I imagine mean, yeah. that he fucked everybody in that town at least once. That would <laughs> and not be, not you only know. that, but Chris Elliott in his van. <laughs> in your own fucking van. I like it. So, yeah. uh, as long as we're talking about Groundhog Day, I like, actually there's a book called uh, Replay. It's written by a guy named Ken Grimwood. It's a, a science fiction novel uh, from the late 80s. And it's uh, the idea is that one day, this guy who just in 1988, which was the president of the book, just finds himself back in his old like 18 year old body in 1963, and uh, he lives out the next 25 years. And then when he gets back to that day in 1988, he goes back, and he starts back from 1963. And so it's sort of like imagine if like Groundhog Day wasn't a day, but it was like 25 years. Right, right. Uh, just kept reliving. And yeah. then the the plot, like, it's it's a really fascinating novel, and uh, definitely worth your time. If you're a fan of Groundhog Day and you kind of want to see the implications of some of that in more detail, uh, definitely check out that book Replay by Ken Grimwood. So cool. it sounds like a long version of 18 again, that old George George Burns film from the 80s. Yeah, no, I man, that's a film I haven't thought of in a while. Mm-hmm. Except for when I wonder who uh, what what uh, <laughs> Harry S. Truman's middle name was. You know, that's the uh, that's what <laughs> I was. <laughs> I, uh, we're talking about a Bear Murray film. I'm gonna throw back to like a rehashing a classic in a way, and plus a dark comedy. Scrooged is an awesome Christmas. Yeah, movie. that's on my go. list. It's on my list. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Scrooge is an awesome Christmas movie. That, that, that was one that was that was that was one that was unfairly maligned in its in its time. Yeah. That, that's a great fucking comedy. It is good. That's a that's a good one. Bill Murray makes really good comedies. I mean, he's oh, just, Bill Murray is fucking he's awesome. He's really good. And um, uh, Bobcat Goldthwait makes our yeah. makes our, ah! and Carol Kane for that matter. Yeah. you know, as long as we're as long as we're landing on these things. There's a lots of different good ones in that one. Good, good actors. Yeah, there are some really good people in that. Yeah, um, no, that's a, that's now, a great film. Wasn't uh, wasn't one of the Batman movies shot during Christmas? Um, I think, I Batman, think Batman Returns. Yeah, Batman yeah, Returns. Yeah, I'm pretty sure right. it was. That that seems kind of snowy and Christmassy, you know. So yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll count it. I'll yeah, it. I was just trying to wonder. I think there was a Christmas involved there somehow, but I couldn't remember. Yeah. Although I'm not a I'm not a big fan of that film, um, honestly. But uh, uh, I mean, I I think actually I'm not a big fan of Tim Burton's interpretation of Batman at all, honestly, because he he doesn't care about Batman. He cares about the fucking villains and making them as weird as possible. Batman to him is just uh, nothing. Yeah. Well, Batman is kind of the boring character. Like he he's well, kind of like I mean. Let's, as, let's as, spice him up with the Cinematically, cinematically, like uh, it, it depends. On, it depends on how you portray him. Um, I guess maybe cinematically he has not been portrayed particularly interesting. I mean, I mean, uh, even even in the even in the Christian Bale, yeah, yeah, you know, the Christian Nolan, 
Batman isn't the one you're really looking at. You know, like like in even in, in Batman Begins, I mean where he's kind of the, the main where he's the thrusting character. Mm-hmm. By the way, Christian Bale thrusting into things is I'm okay with it. <laughs> but, uh, oh, good for you. Good for you. I'm gonna put it in the I don't know, like, in, in a lot of ways, the most interesting portrayal of Batman ever is the Adam West Batman, because it, it makes fun of the whole concept. Like, Someday you, know, you just can't get rid of a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> from, from the movie, yeah, that's always yeah, yeah, the yeah. one I think of when I think of, you know, it, it is kind of, I mean, we, we make fun of the 66 Batman, you know, the Adam West Batman, but I, I think there is a, a sense in which that version of the character kind of poking fun at the whole idea in the kind of superhero mythos is in some ways the most interesting of the cinematic Batman. Well, I think I think the best I think honestly the best uh, cinematic uh, look at Batman is the recent uh, animated films that did the uh, Frank Miller's uh, Dark Knight. Uh, well, comic book. There, there's those, yeah, sure. Yeah. Where, where he is, uh, he's basically a libertarian psychopath, is is what he is, um, and that is deep down what the character honestly is. He he is. Crazy, like he he is a nutcase. Yeah. I mean, he, he is a hero, but he is a fucking nutcase at the same time. And and that's the more interesting look at the character. Where, uh, where where does his moral compass end? What are his uh what are his limits? Uh, what is um the mentality of this character who's living in a universe full of superpowered humans? And he is trying to cope with that at the same time. He's got his uh, dead parents issues, and uh, he's got this rogues gallery that he cannot murder because of his strict fucking code. And how how far will he go before he actually fucking breaks eventually? And there's there's a lot of interesting stuff there that just doesn't really leak out into the cinematic uh, uh, live action films. So. Yeah, we definitely need to do some animated films on this podcast at some point. Um, and I, I would love to get the excuse to sit down and watch some of those animated uh, Batman films. I've seen, I've seen some of them. I think like one of the year one films I saw some of mm-hmm. that um, at like a friend's house, like you know, on the TV. And I was like, that looks kind of interesting, but it's also like, man, you you look at like these animated, uh, the, the animated uh, DC universe. And it just gets so big so fast, and like, you know, really what, what am I supposed to watch? You know, that, that's that's where their strength is. Like compared to Marvel with their cinematic uh, stuff, uh, DC their animated stuff is where it's really at. Like that, those Batman films, fucking great. I've watched every one of them so far, and they're really impressive. Awesome. Uh, I've got one more Christmas film on my list, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, just to just to throw it out there. Kind of a more modern one, um, not not nearly as dark unless you want to read it that way, which I'm perfectly willing to do. Um, Elf. Oh yeah, Elf. Will, will Ferrell, yeah. Yeah, Will Ferrell, which I remember uh, like when that was new and people were like, you know, kind of sitting there and just going like, "This is," even at the time in 2003, I think people were looking at that going, "This is the new, like, this is one of those new classics mm-hmm. that people are going to be watching over and over again for the holidays." Um, because it is kind of like, I mean, it's very kid-friendly in the same way that A Christmas Story is, but it's also like there is kind of a depth to it, and there is sort of a, like, non-schmaltziness to a bunch of it, um, which does uh, help considerably in terms of, like, kind of uh, keeping it uh, relevant, you know, and keeping yeah. it keeping it interesting. Because when you are 
<laughs> kind of what I think of when I think of a holiday film. It's like this is something I'm going to want to watch every year around this time, or at least you know, kind of like make me. Whenever I'm in this time of year, I kind of think about this film. And uh, if it's something I'm going to watch on a regular basis and kind of like have fond memories of, it needs to have a certain level of like integrity and a certain level of like I'm not going to just want to stab my eyes out thinking about this <laughs> film. You know, um, there is a holiday film a, that I watched that I saw for the first time recently. Um, and that was Love Actually. I don't know if you guys have seen that film at all. I haven't seen it. I've heard of it, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, I always heard of that as, like, the, uh, like, oh, this is kind of one of the better romantic comedies out there. Um, and it is, but it, it so portrays the, uh, the standard cliches of so much of this. It's just, like, ten romantic comedies with all the good, with all the filler cut out, and it's just, like, the same old thing, and, uh, deeply inhaled inherent misogyny and all that sort of thing. But if you're looking for a Christmas movie, that's one that people love. But uh, it was definitely one of those, like, this is this is kind of clever, but I just have to turn my brain off entirely, which I don't have to do with something like Elf. Like, it, it is something that kind of works on its own terms. Um, and it's got, uh, what's his name in it? Um, James Caan? Well, James Caan, but uh, Peter Dinklage. It's got Peter Dinklage in it. Oh, so yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And uh, the the other the guy who is a part of Tenacious D who isn't uh, Jack Black. Oh, uh, Pete. Kyle. Kyle. Kyle Gass. Yeah, yeah, Kyle Gass. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Elf's really good. Uh, one of the sort of modern James Con roles where he's not embarrassing himself, uh, <laughs> doing a shitty film. <laughs> so so that's always enjoyable. Um, another one I'll throw out there. Uh, the Ice Harvest. I, oh I, God, I, yeah. Yeah, that's done. That's Christmas. Billy Bob Thornton, fucking, oh. uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, God damn John it, Cusack? John Cusack. Uh, great noir isn't, film. Isn't that directed by Harold Ramis? Yeah, it is. Yeah, Harold Ramis. That yeah, that was, was his last. That was one of his last, last, if not his last. Yeah, no, man. No, he did a comedy after that that was garbage. But uh, the Stone Age, I think it was. Oh God! So yeah, which his terrible. last film? His last film. We're just gonna call. Yeah, it let's just film. say it's his last film. Yeah. Um. No, I I haven't seen that. I mean, I actually don't think I've seen that all the way through. I saw like the last thirty minutes or something and went, My God, this this is something I really need to sit down and watch. Um, it is fantastic. It's got Oliver Platt in this great role as this drunk lawyer who knows all the seedy underbelly bullshit in the in the town. And he Oliver just, Platt, drunk lawyer, I just think of a time a time to kill. Like just yeah, land on that. But it's 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 great. It's great. Oliver Platt just doesn't give a fuck. He, he he's friend he's best friends with John Cusack. He's actually married to John Cusack's ex-wife in the film, so he knows all the dirty secrets and he doesn't give a fuck. He's it, it, like he's he, the marriage he's in is a hateful marriage. He doesn't care. So he's like you know. So he bonds with John Cusack and he's just he knows John Cusack's dirty deeds because John Cusack's like a low-level mafia guy in the town and shit. Right. And it, it's so good. Like it's just. It's fucking humorous, and there's this like nice circle of karma in the film that sort of goes around, and and it it does sort of capture sort of the pressing side of the holidays really well. So very impressive film, and um, goddamn, I wish it honestly was 
uh, Ramis's last film because <laughs> that would have been a one great one to go out on. But uh, you know, awesome. Well, yeah. I remember. I didn't see that one. That one seems interesting. I haven't seen that one. It's great. It's, uh, it's first, great when you said Stone Age, I thought you meant like the one from the, the early nineties. No, no, that's no, it's, one it's, my... it's year one, isn't it? It's the, yeah, it's the Michael uh, Sarah one, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the really stupid one that you know. Yeah. Okay. Jack did. Black and Michael Sarah. Yeah, yeah. The oh. Stone Age from the early nineties is one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a great film. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, as far as uh, holiday movies, I'm just going to throw one that my kids watch all the time and I like because I grew up watching was Hocus Pocus. They watch it on Laserdisc oh. all the time. Uh, and then uh, Ernest My wife saves... loves that. I love it. I love that film. I've actually been to some of the places in Salem where they shot it. They didn't shoot much of it there, but they shot a few things. There. Hocus Pocus is another one that I saw theatrically when it was new, when I was a kid. So just <laughs> nice. throwing it out there. Yeah, no, it's a, I like it. I like the film. And, the uh, only thing I remember about that film is this one gag where um, the two other witches like take off with brooms between their legs. So, ah, yeah. yeah. And, and the third Kat, one, Kathy Najimi, yeah. she, she has a vacuum cleaner. And she I, went, I, saw, I, I saw her in Rat Race later, and I'm like, I'd slap that big fat ass in my cock. I'm like, I, yeah, I, I, I mostly know her as Peggy Hill from King of the Hill. Like it's one oh, of those like I don't uh, I don't associate her with a particular like physical role. I think of her as Peggy Hill. You know. Oh, do you ever uh, do you ever see Rat Race? I've seen it. I like that. It's uh, basically Rat Race is basically it's a mad 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 world redone right. in the '90s, which they're both good films. John Lovitz is fucking amazing because he's always amazing in everything he does. But uh, the one of the films to go back to the holiday is uh, is a quintessential holiday film, Ernest Saves Christmas. <laughs> quintessential. Well, and and uh, Ernest Scared Stupid. If we're gonna talk oh, about it. Oh, and I was going Christmas, Christmas, but yeah. The Ernest, the, the best of the Ernest films was Ernest Goes to Jail, though. Like that's yeah. Your, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I always like Ernest Goes to Camp, but my uh, my favorite is off, obviously Scared Stupid. My one go, one daughter runs around and goes, "How about a buffer sandwich, bugger lips?" <laughs> like so. so. <laughs> she, she she watches it a lot. Uh, I'll uh, throw one out there, uh, The Crow. Oh yeah. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that is uh that is uh, basically a sort of Christmas New Year's film, but uh, or is it a Halloween film? I can't remember. It's a it's, holiday it, film. It's a is it a holiday film? It is a holiday film. It's it's it, I can't remember if it was uh, Halloween or Christmas, New Year's, one or the other. Uh, but uh, oh, um, are we counting New Year's? Because they got a great one for New Year's. Yeah, New Year's we can count definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's a holiday. Strange Days, motherfucker. Yeah, Strange Days. There you go. Sweet. I was Never I was seen. thinking like Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, and like that that was kind of where my head was. But yeah. Strange Days might be the single greatest New Year's film ever made. Strange Days is fucking awesome. I've man. never seen it. You've never seen Strange Days? Jesus no. Christ, sir. You need to get you need to get on that shit. When was it made? 1995. 19... Yeah, oh, yeah, can, yeah. Can, it's before 2000. I can watch it. Okay, good. And it's Ray, a great... Ray Fiennes, Juliette Lewis. Yeah. Tom um, Sizemore. Um, Learn yeah. nothing about the film. Directed by Catherine Bigelow. Um, yeah. Don't... Just don't learn anything else about the film. Just, just get watch it, it. And watch it. It's okay. fucking. Yeah. It, you're. I think you're gonna enjoy the hell of it, Paul. It's a uh, fucking awesome film. 
Uh, basically, uh, there's a couple other horror films that really hit the hit the nail on the head for the days. Is uh, they come actually? This one comes in a two pack. You can get April Fool's Day, mm-hmm. and you can get My Bloody Valentine. And my bloody both- my my bloody Valentine totally would recommend April Fool's yeah. Day. It's a not it's not it's an April Fool's Day, but it's not really the greatest. But uh, My Bloody Valentine's a great film. My Bloody Valentine is really good. April Fool's not, Day. Not not the remake. The no. original. Yeah, you know, the original, definitely. Uh, but uh, April Fool's Day, that cheats the fucking viewer. Yeah, it does. I, I think it really does. Yeah. It's well, it is called movie. April Fool's Day. Yeah, it is, know. but I mean, goddamn. I haven't seen it, so, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah, really? you're, you're, you're not missing out at all, Dan. Uh, you can uh, always that, check out, you know, Friday the 13th film, so there you go. That's a holiday yeah. where I come from. I mean, well, I mean, we could... Saturday, I was, Saturday the 14th. <laughs> Saturday the fourteenth. I, I was expecting that we'd throw out some of the ones we did on our Halloween episode. Like, I mean, Halloween. There you go, Halloween. That's the quintessential <laughs> Halloween film. Yeah. Uh, but you could also go uh, trick or treat, um, mm-hmm. or trick or treat from the eighties. But the trick or treat from the two thousands. The the which is, Sam, right? Yeah, Sam. which is great. That is a great fucking film. Like. What one of the new kind of like horror classics, as far as I'm concerned. We, uh, my sister and I, used to watch the Halloween Tree every Halloween. I don't know if nice. you've ever seen that it's a nice cartoon, Halloween Tree. And then I, we'd always watch uh, um, the Grinch uh, that stole Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And Boris Karloff and Thorol Ravenscroft. That's one <laughs> hell of a name. Tony Tiger for the win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pull this up here. I was looking earlier just kind of trying to like brainstorm for this and thinking about like uh you know so I just googled like films Thanksgiving films, you know, and then there's a list on Wikipedia, list of films that are on Thanksgiving. And it's kind of surprising like some films that are like set around Thanksgiving that you wouldn't necessarily think of. Um, you know, like Grumpy Old Men is set around <laughs> Thanksgiving, you know. Um, uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop is set around Thanksgiving. <laughs> Son in Law, Son in Law, which we, we Paul oh, Schroeder, yeah, Carla yeah, Gugino, yeah. Carla Gugino is super hot in that, you know. Um, yeah, she is. But there's this Hannah and her sisters. It's a Thanksgiving film, you know what I mean? Um, she's got to have it. Is is a Thanksgiving film. Really? Um, so, so there are like all these, all these things where I, I just started looking at them, and I'm like, I can't even. Um, Brokeback Mountain, apparently, part of it takes place around Thanksgiving. Yeah? So, um, <laughs> well, they were definitely stuffing the turkey, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah I know. Jesus Christ, yeah. You know, if you're if you're gonna talk about stuffing the bird, I mean, you know, I'm. There was a different kind of gobbling going on, if you know what I mean. Oh, my <laughs> Jesus. Um, but was yeah, it, like was it, it, was it, it was it like Boondock Saints in around some kind of fucking holiday or something like that. Oh Jesus Christ! I, I don't um, know because I want to forget those movies. But yeah, well, uh, how about how about The Fugitive is set around St. Patrick's Day? That's yeah, there you go. I didn't kill my wife. I, I don't, don't care. care. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, yeah. Tommy Lee Jones, you should have cared a lot more. He should have cared, man. He he sh- he should have uh he should have cared about his job. You know that's yeah. that's his thing. And uh, Joey Fontiliano was in that, so you know. There yeah. you go. Oh, here you go. Mardi Gras Massacre, completely horrible film, but there you go. <laughs> Mardi Gras, there's got to be a great, there's got to be a great film set around Mardi Gras. 
Well, there's anyway, actually there's I'm, actually I'm, a, a a film, the new uh, book of uh, Book of Life. It's called. It's uh, basically around Day of the Dead. It's an animated film based around Day of the Dead. I'm pretty sure one of the Candyman sequels is set around Mardi Gras. Maybe. I just think of uh, Spring Break, the uh, Harmony Queen uh, with uh, Selena Gomez and the uh, other teeny bopper girls. Oh, Spring, oh, Spring Breakers, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 with uh, James Franco in it, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, no, I, haven't wa- I haven't watched it, but I heard it was uh, very decisive. Either you really liked it or you really hated it. Well, it's Harmony Queen, so, you know, what do you want, you know? Yeah. It's... I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking. Well, I mean, uh, you mentioned it before, Paul, but like Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale, I think is pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, now I, they got I, now they got Krampus coming out. Yeah, they get, there's a couple Krampus movies, like yeah, one or two true. of them. Yeah. But, I feel uh, like there's. I feel like, and, and this is kind of where, like, the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, the movies that are like deliberately marketed as quote, quote unquote Christmas movie, some of those are fine, like there's nothing wrong with it, but there's so much, so many of the ones that I really like come back to over and over again are just more interesting films that are just set during that time period. They're not the focus of the film, it's just right, set right. It's not. It's not like overtly, oh, it's set during Thanksgiving or whatever, you know, um... Well, like I said, the Ice Harvest, it's not about Christmas, but it uses the downside of Christmas, like the other side of Christmas, where yeah. everything's kind of depressing and sad. It uses that to set the mood for the film with the characters, and it does a really good job of it. So, well, then, or, or, or the apartment, which was, I mean, which is, you know, uh, have you, have any of you seen the apartment? No. I have seen, I have seen it once, but it was a long time ago, dude. Like, yeah, that that's one I definitely want to cover on the show at some point. I know I've mentioned it a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we we will do it. We will do it. It's one of those. Uh, it's one of those just uh, great, great films. Um, but like, it's it's it takes that like being single and alone on the holidays thing, and it, like builds a whole story around it in some ways, um, mm-hmm. which is really fascinating. Isn't um, uh wasn't a child's play set around Christmas, and that's how he got the doll in his house? Uh, I can't remember. I can't I, remember I'm, either. Yeah, that I makes mean, sense. I mean, yeah, sure. So I'm trying to think, you know, I'm trying to think. You know. well, and wasn't, the thing uh, was, wasn't Lord of the Rings a Christmas book? No, never mind. <laughs> no. no maybe, maybe the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> the, the thing with... Uh, what I, I find interesting about the Christmas season is, like, it's... I mean, really kind of where we land on some of this stuff is it's... Uh, the whole point is Christmas is the you know the solstice. It's it's a, the coldest day of the year, the longest, darkest day of the year, and so you know we're supposed to be thinking about festivities and we're happy and we're joyous, but at the same time it takes place during this cold, dark, lonely time of of uh, of every year, mm-hmm. and so there is this kind of intrinsic um, tension to anything that's set during Christmas, and that it is simultaneously, you know, this time when we have this, like, forced festivity, at least here in the Western world, those of us, you know, kind of middle class and who listen to podcasts and, you know, buy <laughs> gifts and that sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, uh, is this, is this like, the whole thing is, like, we get together and we celebrate almost an opposition to that, uh, to that cold, dark, dank time mm-hmm. of year. 
and I think that the best Christmas movies that I can think of like embrace that dichotomy in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. Not to get, I know we we've been having a good time, and then I just threw in some some. Yeah, uh, you know, we do, we end, do, you know? yeah, we do Yule in our house. So I mean, I understand what you're saying about yeah, the we, you know the the middle of the end of the light and the sun and the mm-hmm. snow and I mean I understand what you're saying there. So, but. Yeah, I still no, think no, no, Lord of the Rings no. is a Christmas movie, though. It's got to be. <laughs> it's gotta just be you think hobbits are elves, that's all there is. Oh, is that it? No, no they, yeah, had, it. they had elves in there. Yeah, but that's... those elves are more like... Uh, oh, never mind. Yeah, They're more like <laughs> angels or something. Oh, isn't that Balrog? Wasn't that Santa? No, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm Gandalf's, Gandalf's <laughs> the uh, evil smack-in-the-face Santa. <laughs> what you talk about? You know, Samuel L. Jackson should have played Gandalf. He could have yelled at everybody. Yeah, and he'd have a... He'd have a I don't need any more of these motherfucking Balrogs in my <laughs> motherfucking <laughs> shire. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much better that way. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't think we're going to get the movie god today. Like, just... I'm just... I'm just landing on that. I think... I, I think this is... This is too much fun to... Uh, to interrupt the movie I, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to figure out what the fuck else to think of as far as holiday movies. Hey, I do have a movie guide for you guys, and it, it's based on Punch Drunk Love. So if you want to, uh, I'll kind of throw it out yeah, to both of you. I mean, let, let's. Uh, I, th- I think we've gone through holiday movies pretty well, and we could. Yeah, yeah I think uh, we got we got a lot of them anyway. Yeah, I, I actually like. I kind of forgot I was intending to do Movie God first before we got into this, but uh, fuck it, let's do Movie God now and end on that. So, uh, Daniel, yeah. throw your Movie God out. Sure, and this can go to both you guys. We I, we'll just chat about it. Like it's not like yeah, a yeah, challenge. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, but it's based on uh, because I really <coughs> liked our Punch Drunk Love episode. Of course, I did because I recommended the movie, and I think we had a really good conversation. <laughs> we did, but yes. uh, it is kind of it is kind of based on that. And uh, given the choice. You got to kill one of these two people. Should I explain, Movie God? So you kill one of the two people, or one of the two movies, or one of the two whatever, mm-hmm. and then that not only do you kill it, but it's erased from the timeline. So it's gone, and everything that comes from that is gone. So I now ask you, if you had to kill one of the two, Adam Sandler or Jim Carrey? Uh, oh, I, I'd kill Adam Sandler. <laughs> No question. I, I, I'd kill him with my fists until he's dead. <laughs> yeah, I can. I, I, I could have lived with Adam Sandler out of my life the whole time. So I'm pretty much good with that. I'm yeah, willing to. Fair. I'm willing to sacrifice. And I mean, yeah, you know, you know I, just, I, asked I just this question. I just Dumb and Dumber too. So I'll just kill Jim Carrey at the same time because he ruined my life. <laughs> no, he has to kill one or the other. You can't. You can't oh. Adam Sandler then. Adam Sandler. Yeah. There you go. I mean I mean if you kill if you kill Adam Sandler, you basically like the good things you lose are if you if you like his comedies, you kill those, and then you kill Punch Drunk Love, and that's kind of it. No, you that'd know? be great I because then I wouldn't ever had to watch Punch Drunk Love for that fucking well, I fast forward it, but but I mean, you know, like Adam Sandler as a, I mean, some of his stand-up is really is really nice. I, I kind of like a lot of his stuff on SNL and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to hear "Piece of Shit Car." So. <laughs> I just think I just think of the Hanukkah song. Like that's kind of when I think of Adam Sandler. That's sort of the like that's almost the first thing I think of is the is the Hanukkah song. Hanukkah. What what movies are around Hanukkah time? I don't know. 
Well, there's in Crazy Nights, which was... Oh, oh Jesus Christ. Well, there, there's even more of a reason to kill fucking Am Sam. Yeah. Kill him dead! All right, uh, Lee, how, do you, how do you feel? Jim Carrey or Sandler? I mean, I don't think this is a hard decision. I'm just... I, I thought no, it was no, interesting. I, I, would, I would erase Adam Sandler just like that. As much I, I, as I love Punch Truck Love and... I, I couldn't good. live without I couldn't live without fire society uh, fire marshal bill with in my without you know, <laughs> so I, I love fire marshal bill so I mean uh, I, I'm gonna say it right now like uh, punch rock loves gonna be in my uh, ten best uh, for the end of the year show or whatever um, but still saying that I could live without Adam Sandler I really could well, uh, here, here's where I land on that and I don't disagree with you. But I think Punch Drunk Love is better than anything that Jim Carrey was ever. It is. In. It, it really you is. Know? But um, but Jim I mean, Carrey... the, the great thing about it is not. But if you kill Adam Sandler, I don't know that that movie exists. You know. Uh, the the thing is, Jim Carrey overall, throughout his career, offends me the least. Sure. To Adam Sandler. Uh, I don't disagree with you. Jim Carrey is a better actor and a better comedian and a better performer than Adam Sandler. But Punch Drunk Love is a higher high than anything. Yeah. Like if, like the Truman Show. Okay, you, I I I'll give you uh, the Charlie Kaufman one. Uh, um, oh, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the uh, Eternal Spotless Sunshine Mind. of the Spotless Mind. Yeah. Possibly on that same level as uh, Punch Drunk Love. Uh, but um, I, I I would say I hate that film though. <laughs> I know some people really love that film. I hate that film because I just find the leads incredibly detestable, and I don't like them. Well, the, the, we we need to discuss this. I think yeah, this, yeah. This, uh, this is worth discussing. Uh, it is. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'll say this: Jim Carrey. I think he's a better dramatic actor when he's given the chance than Adam Sandler is. And uh, as much as he probably needs to have a lot of needles stuck into him, uh, vaccinate vaccination wise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I mean, people have actually died because of Jim Carrey, and I don't think anybody's died because of Adam Sandler. So yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll you know, um, kudos for banging Jenny McCarthy when she wasn't saying stupid shit, but... Uh, oh, she know, was saying stupid shit by that point. I'll just, like... like she, he, oh, okay. He fell, he fell with her after she was already saying, saying the stupid yeah. shit. And in fact, he started saying the stupid shit because he got it from her, I think. Like, that was... That's kind of where I landed. Yeah. yeah but, the, uh... Stupid shit disease. Yeah, pretty much. But uh, yeah, overall, Jim Carrey's career, I, I like his stuff better than Adam Sandler, so that's where I fall on it. So I'd, I'd keep Jim Carrey, I'd drop Adam Sandler. That's where, where it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's a hard decision, but I do think it's an interesting decision. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the one I'll throw out uh, for you, Daniel, and it's going to be this is one that. I feel like I probably should have thought of a long time ago because it seems pretty fucking obvious, but uh, it is... You are movie god, Daniel, and you must eliminate one of these two actors. You must either eliminate Robert De Niro or Al Pacino. Um, I'll say personally, Robert De Niro means more to me because of Goodfellas. Um, mm -hmm. I just... I love, I love his performance in Goodfellas. Um... Al Pacino is is great. He kind of hasn't. I don't know. Um, I mean, my immediate chant, my immediate response is to kill Al Pacino, just because. Other than Dog Day Afternoon, there's not like one that I point to and go, "That's 
that's the great. Okay, Serpico. I mean, yeah. there are, there are a handful, but to me, Robert De Niro is the more vital actor. He lasted longer as as a, a kind of a great uh, performer. Ah, uh, but the question is though, who has tarnished the reputation more? Has it been Al Pacino or Robert De Niro in the last well, so like Al Pacino? Years? Al Pacino. I mean, in the last, uh, there's no question. Robert De Niro is still acting, and Al Pacino's kind of not. I mean, mm-hmm. if Al Pacino was still trying to kind of move on and, and do things, I mean, he would be doing the same kind of self-parody that Robert De Niro was doing at this point, I think. Um, he just decided to bow out and, you know, just live on the money he already had, which is great. Um, but, you know, for, for me, like, I just, I just kind of look at, like, Robert De Niro's last 15 years ago. He's collecting a paycheck. Like, I don't care. Like, you, you, do, you do your thing, man. If I was... If I was uh, Robert De Niro. I'm not saying I wouldn't do the same damn thing, you know. And um, I would, I would rather uh, have uh, De Niro's best stuff than have Pacino's best stuff because I think you could make the argument that without De Niro, Scorsese may not even happen, you know, without yeah. having that muse in the early career. And going without Scorsese would be um, would just be a travesty to me, you know. I mean, you would you would have to lay up something really fundamental to make me choose it over Scorsese. Like, let's just put it that way. And um, I don't know that like Scorsese's first, you know, four or five films would have happened without De Niro there to to be that muse, you know. So uh, I killed Pacino, like no question. Um, nice, I like that. It's, I like it's pretty that easy for me, you know. Yeah, that's actually pretty well reasoned. I like that. Uh, you have anything, Paul? You want to throw in any of us, or? Well, I don't know. Um, how about this? It doesn't matter. I'm not good at this. So, um, who would you kill off? Would you kill off Sir Anthony Hopkins, or would you kill off Brian Cox? Oh wow, that's actually a tough one. Ah uh, shit. Um, this is this is one where I can actually make the argument that killing off Sir Anthony Hopkins for his later career <laughs> probably be the like this is kind of the Patino De Niro one you know where I'm kind of like Anthony Hopkins he had I mean there's some great performances but like he really kind of has the long tail of shit whereas Brian Cox I don't feel like has that that same thing I think if Anthony Hopkins had been a character actor his whole career. I think we would look upon him a little more fondly. The fact that he became a star after uh, Silence of the Lambs, or at least around that time period, I think affects affected the way his later career went. So I don't know. If, I don't. Man, I I, I, hate, I I think I think killing Anthony Hopkins is just the more interesting choice. You know, and I, I and I, I almost want to do it just for that. You know, I, I would agree. Um. Honestly, as much as I like Anthony Hopkins, uh, this actually goes back to uh, my held position that Brian Cox was the better Hannibal Lecter in Manhunter. And that's why I brought it up. Yeah, you son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I love Brian Cox in fucking Manhunter. His brief scenes in that film make that film for me. Uh, his Hannibal Lecter is one of the, for me personally, one of the scariest movie villains I've ever seen um, because he is so normal, he is so casual, 
and at the same time, he is incredibly fucking insane and scary. Um, but I look at Anthony Hopkins, as great as his performance is for Hannibal Lecter, you know right off the bat that he's nuts. Like, he is a hor- he's more of a horror movie villain than he is, like, a straight-laced dramatic villain. Um, is, is The second you see him, because he's, he's doing that fucking weird stare and smile and shit... Uh, you know he's evil, you know he's crazy. Uh, you look at Brian Cox's interpretation of Hannibal Lecter, he looks like a history professor who has gone to seed, and that's about it. And he talks like a history professor who has gone to seed. He doesn't seem necessarily insane talking to him, but then you see the full uh, depth of his insanity as the movie progresses, and you see his cleverness and just how dangerous he really is. And that performance has stuck with me throughout the years. And uh, I think Brian Cox overall has just basically uh, outdone himself with character performance after character performance in movies. He's basically been in every movie in the last 15 years or so. You know, like, he, you see him popping up fucking is it, everywhere. Is it, is it terrible that Brian Cox, I think of him in that adaptation, like, that's my first thought yeah. for Brian yeah, Cox. Yeah. Um... He's just one of those guys who's just been in everything. And I, it, like, I don't know. I don't have a strong attachment to Anthony Hopkins, um, which is sad to say because I, I feel like he, he, he is a great actor. Um, uh, the original choice to play Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs or uh, Jonathan Demme's, who, who he wanted, was uh, Morgan Freeman. Oh, really? And... Uh, you know, without kind of the, you know, the the studio at the time wouldn't let it be a black guy, um, because yeah. oh we can't have a black guy villain we can't have, like we can't do this, and I I understand that to some degree like I'm not gonna say <laughs> that's a terribly uh, that's a terrible like impulse to have, but I think without like a kind of obvious Anthony Hopkins answer maybe we would have gotten Morgan Freeman as mm-hmm. Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs, which uh, would have been fascinating in its own right. Um, it would have been, uh, especially considering, like, there's so few black serial killers, like, in mm-hmm. real life. Like, Well, there are, been, like, the guy in Ohio with the hookers in his basement. I mean, there there are... There, no, are. there are, there, but it's a it's very, very rare that you see African-American black... Pretty, pretty, pretty much any time you see somebody killing other people, it's a white guy. It's just... Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. we're, we're just terrible. Um, we're just more clever about it. We do, yeah. well, no, I want to skin her and put her all over my walls and write my name and dress up in her skin. Now the other guys just, like, shoot them. See, that's, can, that's not as good. Can, can I just throw out one more just to uh, just for yeah. you for the two guys? And uh, just because I want to destroy one film that we all love, I just, I do. And uh, this choice makes you destroy a film that we all love. And I'm going to make you choose between Tom Savini and George Romero. One of those two oh, people is... No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm killing Tom. I'm killing Tom. You know, because uh, with, without both those guys together, Dawn of the Dead is not in the form that yes, we know it. Yes, but, uh, but Night of the Living Dead is still there, and they could have got somebody else to do the makeup. So fuck Yeah, goddamn, I hate you, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> I, I, this I, makeup I, artist, this, this, there's a hundred of them. I, I, I will say, I mean, all respect to Tom Savini, 
George Romero could have found someone else who could have done those effects. Also. Am I sa- am I saying it would be as good because he did a lot of the stunts and stuff like that, and he was he was uh he it would have been he was, it, he was blades you know blades and sledge yeah. but it, but it would have been a lesser film maybe to some degree. And the best part of it, without Tom Savini, I wouldn't have to watch Knight Rider because that was horrible. <laughs> but uh, fuck. Uh... And you know what? I hear Tom Savini's kind of a dick on the convention. He, he circuit, is a dick. So. I met him. He's a yeah. Dick. There, there, there you go. So, so maybe we eliminated him. But fuck, man. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just, I just, I guess I have to take into account the cinematic contributions of George Romero before Dawn of the Dead, which are considerable. I mean, you have Night of the Living Dead, you have Martin, yeah, if, you have if, the it, if it wasn't if it wasn't for the Vietnam War, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Yeah, because he would have like, been on Night of the Living he, Dead. He yeah. would have been on Night of the Living Dead, and I would be like, fuck you, I'm out, and I would have just closed the cast. Yeah, because so, that... so really, so really, it's kill Richard Nixon. That's that's the, yeah. that's the answer. <laughs> yeah. I am not a... <laughs> You're dead. Yeah. Is oh, are. man, that's... <laughs> That that really sucks. That that's a sucky fucking. Oh, you just killed Tom. Lee. Can, can I? Can I? Can I do the uh, the geek version of this? The, okay. uh, the the science fiction geek, the Star Wars geek, because I'm gonna then then make you kill something else that you know, like geeky people, like uh, Star Wars fans. Um, and that is uh, John Williams or uh, 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 God, who wrote Empire Strikes Back? Oh God. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're gonna have to cut this out. I'm gonna sound like I knew what I was talking about for a second. All right. Hmm. Who would you rather kill, Harrison Ford or Leonard Nimoy? Harrison Ford. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Lawrence Kasdan. Lawrence Kasdan mm-hmm. wrote. Okay. Okay. Here we go. You can edit this however you want. You can make me sound like an idiot, which I was. It's fine. Um, so, do you kill John Williams or Lawrence Kasdan? Because Lawrence Kasdan wrote Empire Strikes Back, large, very rightly considered to be the great, you know, Star Wars movie, and basically the only person who could like say fuck you to George Lucas for that very brief window to make Empire Strikes Back happen. And if Empire had not been if if Lawrence Kasdan had not been involved, it would have been like George Lucas just Jar Jarring Bink, Jar Jar Binksing and Ewoking the entire trilogy. Jesus you know? Christ. So basically, but without John Williams, you lose all the great John Williams stuff, including all the stuff that made the Star Wars trilogy what it was. So either way, I'm making you destroy uh, the uh, the Empire Strikes Back, which I would argue is one of the great films of all time. You know, Lee, Lee this is directed to you. This is a hard one because I could probably live with Star Wars as a beginning and end kind of film where you don't necessarily need a sequel. So I could live with John Williams and Star Wars as it is and that just being the only film ever. Um, At the same time, Empire Strikes Back is an amazing film. Uh, I don't necessarily... It, it draws from the John Williams score, so it's kind of dependent on it at that point. Fuck. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. This is probably the unpopular choice too. I'm gonna say Kazan gets the fucking bucket, and 
you keep John Williams and just the first Star Wars, and you can forget about Empire Strikes Back and the other ones, and Star Wars is the only pure, beautiful film in the franchise that everyone I, loves. I, I think without Empire, Star Wars would have become like more like the Planet of the Apes franchise, where you would have just had, like, there's the one really good one, and then you get this like kind of line of diminishing returns after a while, you know, like it just mm-hmm. kind of goes that way. Hey, uh, the one thing, hey, the hey, one con- thing I'll put conquest is good. Conquest is good. The one thing I'll put in Lawrence Kasdan's uh, favor, like just to, is uh, Body Heat, which is I think one of the great neo noirs ever. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen that, but Body I've Heat is no. Body Heat. Body Heat is phenomenal. Um, you know, so. Again, another one I keep bringing them up. We should cover that on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd, I'd be down for that. So, um, yeah, sorry. That that's kind of my one that I uh, I get. I got this game from Drew McWeeney, who used to do the Motion Capture podcast, and uh, that's the one. If I had to give it to him, I would give it to him because Empire is like his favorite movie of all time. <laughs> nice. I would, I'd say you got to kill one or the other, John Williams or Lawrence Kasdan. And he that was would, that was a he tough would one. Die. He would die. It's just yeah. like a thing. That, um, that was a tough one. But, uh, yeah, good. Good stuff. Movie God. Uh, nice to bring that back. Hopefully we'll do it uh, more often in uh, upcoming episodes. But uh, I think we can uh, cut it off now. We've been going, I don't know how fucking long we've been going. We've, we've, we've been going on almost three hours. Yeah, so, and I'm probably not going to cut much out of this episode, so it's going to be a pretty big episode for people listening, so, uh, yeah, uh, Daniel, tell us about your Doctor Who podcast. Sure, if you are not sick of listening to my fucking voice at this point, um, <laughs> you can uh, go and check me out, and uh, talking about all areas of Doctor Who, Classic Who, and New Who, uh, at Oi Spaceman, that's Oi Spaceman, all in word, .libsyn.com. And uh, we've got some pretty cool guests coming up. I've been negotiating with a bunch of people, and uh, if you're a Doctor Who fan, which nobody listening to this podcast is, or if you are, then you're already listening to my podcast, so I don't know why anybody cares. But um, we've got some pretty cool people coming up and some pretty cool episodes coming up. So um, stay tuned to that. We just uh, put up Logopolis, which is uh, Tom Baker's last episode. And uh, we're moving into the uh, Peter Davison era, and eventually we're gonna finish Classic Two, and then we've got some some pretty cool shit coming up in like April, May, kind of when we finish all the all the Doctors and Companions. So, yes, go check that out. Yeah. All right, Paul. Where can people find you on the interweb? Oh, you can check me out on YouTube, PA Brew News. Um, over there on YouTube, the Funeral Dust 666 for some underground metal. And Back Mountain DIY now on YouTube for some mm-hmm. home improvement kind of, of things. Over on Facebook, PA Brew News, uh, Funeral Dust, and uh, Back Mountain Arts and Crafts on Facebook. And I just moved into the digital age of Twitter, so PA Brew News on Twitter. Yeah, and you're doing that a lot. You're tweeting all the time. Uh, yeah, I got no life. Yeah, yeah, uh, and also uh, on the on the sidebar of our Podbean uh, site, you can find uh, Paul's uh, Back Mountain Crafts. Uh, so you can go right there, and you can see all the awesome stuff him and his wife are doing, and actually buy some shit and support them. Yeah, so it's exactly. good stuff. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, so uh, the trailer at the end will tell you where you can go to send comments and questions and uh, suggestions for stuff for us to review. We're open to anything. We definitely want more and more comments. We want to interact with our audience. I know there's a bigger audience out there now that's been listening to us. We've been getting more and more views as the months have gone by. 
and we want to hear from you guys. We want to interact with you, so don't be shy. Even if you hate us and you just want to say we suck, do it because we want to hey, see those yeah. comments. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. And uh, I don't know. I'm probably gonna, even though this is probably almost a, like a three-hour fucking show, I'm probably gonna sprinkle some music here and there, and I'll probably go out on something. I don't know what I'm gonna go out on at this point. But, I, I uh, feel like really, if anything should be in the show, it should be the Eli Roth trailer for Thanksgiving. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I don't know if it should be at the end, but it should Thanks, be in the show somewhere. Is that Thanksgiving's Day trailer? Oh, it's by good. the way, before you walk, before you look at anything, watch Thanksgiving. Sorry, there you go. Oh, no, no, no. I got one. I got one. The the speech that Linus gives in uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas about oh. the uh, the tree. You know that that should be that should be what we go out on. Just need a little know? love and care, Charlie. Brown. A, little, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of the, uh, the secular religion stuff. Need need a little bit of the imperialism over there. There you go. E- either either that or um, the uh, <laughs> the thing from Gremlins. Yeah, that'd be yeah, good. There you go. That's nice. I'll try to sprinkle all that shit in here, and uh, I'm sure we'll uh, invite a lot of copyright strikes and stuff. But that's all good fun. Good. Yeah. But, yeah. Until then, uh, thank you guys for joining me, and uh, thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you later. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For our other episodes, links to Daniel, Paul, and Lee's other stuff, and links to some great podcasts of similar interest, visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can leave us comments on the site or directly email us. We listen and respond to everything. Thank you. Drive through.